Hey, welcome to the Art Condition Podcast, a weekly show that will discuss the business, community, and often undiscussed stress and mental health concerns of being a professional artist or even a serious hobbyist. I'm Joby. I've been in the tattoo and illustration professions for 25 years. My co-host is Moose, a data analyst, social media manager, and art agent. If you enjoy the content, please consider visiting the Patreon page and the show notes to help support the effort. Or if that's not an option, please like, subscribe, leave a good review, or just share with your friends. And definitely go visit the links of our guests on this episode. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Welcome to episode number 15. This one is a long one, but I beg you, please give it a listen. It's one of my favorites, and I think if you give it the time, it will be one of yours as well. Our guests are Daniel and Autumn, two artists working in the field of promotional art and commercial illustration. They have built solid, high-value careers on a specific set of skills, and we can learn an immense amount from their long years of experience as professional artists. We talk about what it's like in their industry, how it differs from other illustration jobs, what brought them to it, and what might attract others to doing that sort of work as well. From there, our conversation touches on a number of important topics. We talk about how they manage to work long hours and not only avoid burnout, but get even more energized for their work. We talk about the value of the artist and how artists can learn to price their work at a fair rate how to gain the confidence and know-how to demand the compensation that you deserve. We talk about the importance of traditional art in an increasingly digital world, and how to be honest with yourself about the type of work that you want to do. So, so much more. It's really hard to choose the most valuable highlights from this episode because it was all fantastic. Please give it a listen and follow Autumn and Daniel on all the links in the show notes. One bit of housekeeping news, I am launching a Kickstarter on January 31st. Please check out the link in the show notes, sign up to get notifications. The proceeds from that project will help fund this content and keep it going in the future. Okay, no more delay. Here's the interview. This is the the official re-restarting of the podcast. My Thank fault. you. <laughs> no, 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 man. Don't worry about it. Um, the pleasure is ours having you guys here it's uh, and wonderful that you've taken the time we're very honored by your presence um let's start with some quick introductory material daniel maybe you can start tell us a little bit about your history how you got into art and a little bit about where you're at now um i mean history part is probably pretty quick i've been drawing since i was (laughs) a little baby uh, basically, as soon as I could draw, I was drawing, and I kind of never stopped, though I went through various interests from wanting to do comics to animation to uh, book covers and stuff when I discovered Frazetta's work, uh, and and then kind of back to animation on the computer side, which I initially went to school for and did a two-year degree in computer animation. And then decided, no, I, I like drawing on paper a lot more um, and went back to school for illustration uh, where I went to Art Center College of Design. And um, toward the end of that, got into being a sketch artist for advertising, for entertainment advertising. And that was at the beginning of 2008. And I've been doing that ever since. <laughs> Very cool, man. 
Autumn, can you follow that up? Same question. Uh, yeah. So, uh, used to be a, uh, uh, gigolo. And then about a year ago, <laughs> I decided I was going to get into doing art and it just took off. It was, you know, it was really, that was my, it was my calling. I kid, I kid. Uh, my story is actually pretty similar to Daniel's where I, I've been, so I met my stepfather when I was through two and a half, three, somewhere in there. And he said uh, that when he met me, I had a crayon in my hand. So did uh, drawing from then found all sorts of art and just wanted to draw comics and learned to draw initially from comics because I was really bad at math. So <clears throat> never really had art classes because of it. Um, and so I was self-taught by looking at Frazetta and other artists and then um, got out of high school, went to um, moved to Santa Barbara and started taking junior college art classes through the, the push of a family friend and then stayed there for seven years at a junior college. <laughs> There's a reason behind it, but I was there for seven years and studied literally everything under the sun and decided that I wanted to be an animator and started to try and get into CalArts uh, and failed miserably at getting into CalArts for one reason or another. Big, long stories there. And finally took the advice of one of my professors who every time I said, I want to get into CalArts, he would say, no, you don't. Said, no, no, I want to be an animator. No, you don't. <laughs> like. He's like, no, I want to be, he's like, go to Art Center. It's your speed. I'm mm. Like, no, I want to go to Cal Arts and finally applied to Art Center, got in. And uh, that's, uh, that was the precursor to the career. Then the career was got out, started freelancing, took on a freelance job at Nickelodeon, um, did that for three years, uh, and then moved on and started doing sketching for uh, entertainment advertising very similar to Daniel. And lo and behold, we work together now. <laughs> so how long have you known each other? Since Art Center, first first term at Art Center, uh, which was September of 2003. So it's been a minute. <laughs> you guys seem a couple cut. Of years. Yeah, you guys seem cut from the same cloth. At, at, what, at one point, I was tempted to think you guys were even related i think i might have even asked autumn at one point if you guys were brothers <laughs> i mean we're brothers it's just it's the brothers that you choose right yeah you guys even like look alike it's 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 cool it's it's great it's you know it it shows I the did, i did notice this is a very a bearded podcast yes yes at least we all have that in common that is our continuity right there yeah this is my lazy look for the winter you can go back to the podcast history podcast wow. history and see how fast it's grown we're all we're all super hip and trendy that's what it is we're on the <laughs> cutting edge here no we all we are all trying to reshape the the structure of our faces with <laughs> facial hair that is kind and forgiving <laughs> um well autumn maybe to you first uh and then to daniel uh what you guys work both work at the same company now right can you guys talk a little bit about uh, what your respective roles are at that company? Sure, I can, I can tell you, but I'm going to have to come by and kill you later. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk later. <laughs> cool, cool. I'll have my machine call your machine and yeah. they'll, get it, they'll figure it out. 
Um, our respective roles. Uh, well, Daniel is my superior, and he has me do everything. <laughs> Daniel gets drunk, and yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Liquid lunch? I think so. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, we we are both. Um, he is the head of the illustration department. I am the co-head of the illustration department. Um, what that ultimately means is that when one or the other of us is is locked into a project because projects require certain hands, right, certain styles, uh, certain abilities, so I will I'll try and take off a, a, as much of the workload as possible from him. So it's basically like I'm his support structure. I just I cup him gently and let him do his creative work. Yeah, because when we get locked into a project or say if I'm out of town or if Autumn's out of town, you know, there's still the administrative side to handle too, like interfacing between our department and uh, account executives and art directors and creative directors, right? So there's a bit of, of the admin side of having to kind of schedule things according to the the sort of assets that we have available to work on, whether it's illustration projects or sketch projects, you know, and all that stuff. So kind of when, when you get locked in, which usually entails doing some kind of a finished illustrated poster, you know, that can be pretty demanding um, because you'll have a ton of revisions really quickly. And so you don't really have time to, to say, oh, hang on, well, I got this meeting to go to, mm -hmm. you know, because literally the client will be like, hey, you know, it'll be two in the afternoon and the client needs a revision by the end of the day, you know, and which might be repainting a couple of faces or, or who knows, whatever it is, you know, sometimes it's quick, sometimes it's more involved. And so that's where if, if we're kind of locked in on a project, then uh, it helps to have somebody that can go to those meetings and, and ask the right questions for upcoming projects uh, so that we kind of know how to handle all of it. So do you guys have like a team of artists that you're working with, you know, like junior artists that sort of that work uh, yeah. in the same department? Yeah. Or? I, I would say one is a senior artist and one is, is mid-level at this point. He okay. was a junior, yeah. but okay. uh, yeah. he's, he has since graduated. <laughs> yeah, he's um, that guy's been working his ass off to get yeah, it too. He's, he's just crushing uh, it. We had so, a third, a third uh, artist as well, but uh, she kind of moved out of town long before all this uh, lockdown craziness happened. <laughs> so um, now there's an opening. Oh, <laughs> oh man, I wish. <laughs> I wish. Hiring freeze yeah, oh, currently. Right. right. Yeah. Oh. Man. So do you guys still I mean, we get were, to? We were we were kind of putting the feelers out there for a little bit yeah. to try and find somebody, and we were talking to a couple of other sketch artists slash illustrators that we know in Los Angeles, and um, it's a it's a tough sell to go full time in this industry. Yeah, uh, because of kind of the as a freelance sketch artist, there is there is a freedom afforded you to. I mean, it's in the name of the title, right? Free. So you, 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 you know, if you're as a freelancer, you can say, "Oh no, can't take a job. I'm booked," and then sit on your couch all day and pick your nose, you know. 
Yeah. Or, you know, try and improve on personal projects or any number of things that you can't do if you're doing a full-time job Monday through Friday, 9 to 6 p.m., you know. So um, getting somebody to, to commit to that is was a challenge. And then that that window just closed. So, hmm. yeah, so. once the pandemic hit, it's like, you know, and, and for us, the bulk of the work, we're talking about film productions, Right. And of course, all that stuff had to stop, mm -hmm. you know, so um, luckily video games, animation and and some projects that were far enough along kept going. And so, you know, like we, we can keep doing our thing, but it is kind of like, OK, we can't we can't bring on new people right now, you know, until it gets to the point again where we're getting so much work in that it's like, OK, look, we can't the four of us can't do all of it, you know, uh the other thing is, uh, LA is a pretty high cost of living area. Are you guys able yes. to like give salaries that lure people in, or is it that also a, a fighting point? Because I know historically, uh, artists aren't paid very much anyway. Yeah, no, I think um, you know the benefit of where we're at. Um, you know, the agency that we're at, which is called Bond, um, they hold a lot of stock in uh, skills. You know, and so if if you're good, they want you, <laughs> you know, yeah. and um, so, yeah, I, I think I think they do a good job. And, yeah, L.A. is expensive and uh, to a degree, obviously, there's no way around that. But yeah. um, the upside is if, if you're good and you push yourself, they recognize it. Yeah. You know, they're fair um, to their talent for sure. Yeah. Uh, that being said. You still can't afford a house in LA because <laughs> <laughs> ain't nobody can afford a house in LA unless you bought it 30 years ago. Yeah. You know, Same unless you want to pay like one and a half million for like a mm -hmm. little two bedroom. <laughs> That's the West coast in a nutshell, right? Yeah. 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 yeah these days pretty much. Um, so that's encouraging to hear because you know, the, it's sort of like the larger studios that, um, have the sort of the, the bigger reputations <clears throat> that people sort of look to as the you know pinnacles and but then those studios also seem heavy with the rumors of not being paid very well or being kind of shuffled around very frequently or maybe just laid off at a moment's notice yeah. anyway and you know not always being treated well and so it's it's yeah. always nice to kind of like put out that reminder that like well there's you know there's other options where you can get paid well get treated well you know work mm -hmm. with people that oh, are going to appreciate yeah. what you're doing honestly these there are two places in la that i would have taken a full-time position and luckily i got a full-time position at the one place that i really want to be uh, the people that we work with are amazing. The talent is amazing. Everybody loves and cares for each other. It's, you know, it's definitely one of those us against the world trying to create some amazing art and yeah. and make it art, you know. So it's yeah. definitely a, it's it's one of those places. It's it's a one in a million kind of place to work for sure. It is it is different, though, Joby, to your point with um 
you know, some of those larger studios, the difference is if you're talking whatever, whether it's Disney or ILM or, you know, they have that that name and that clout to say, well, but then you get to put us on your resume, which mm -hmm. is where they kind of get away with maybe not paying people as well, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and because advertising like sketch art or even illustration and advertising is a bit of a niche sort of... Uh, within within the illustration world you know not a lot of people even know it's a thing and i didn't find out it was a thing until i was ready to graduate from art center and my buddy told me about it he was like oh you should look at being a sketch artist uh for advertising because i was gonna go into concept art for games and i had a job lined up and then they closed that studio down about two months before i was graduating um so i was like oh okay well that's off the table but I asked him, I was like, well, what's sketch? What's sketch art? I love sketching. So this sounds perfect. What the <laughs> hell is it? And he was like, oh, you just like draw like cool people, like wearing awesome suits, smoking cigarettes. And, and you know, you just draw them really fast. And, and I was like, oh, because he wanted to, to go into like the Mad Men type of advertising, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know. And, oh, was that Moz? Uh, yeah, that was Moz. Okay. Yeah, he was, he was like, <laughs> he just sounds like Moz. Sound yeah, he thought it sounded like the coolest thing. And for me, I was like, that sounds awesome because I love sketching with pencils. Um, and then I had an ad agency show up to the grad show. Uh, but they did uh, uh, specifically video game advertising. So then they asked, like, have you ever thought about being a sketch artist? And it's like, funny you should say that. Yes, I have. But I don't know anyone in advertising. So shout out to Eisenberg. Yeah, yeah, that was the Eisenberg Group in Pasadena. And three weeks later, they'd called me up and they had a couple artists bail on them. So they're like, hey, it's a good time to get you in. And they brought me in and yeah, just sketching on paper with with like 2B pencils at the time. <laughs> I've yeah. since changed my technique. Uh, but uh, yeah, I was just sketching ideas for video game covers at the time for Dark so it's Siders, like actually. Dark oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that was the first one. That was the first ad project I worked on. Wow. That's cool. <laughs> so it's kind of like live concept art? Kind of, yeah. Like, and it's it's pretty, it's but concept in terms of the actual concept for the piece. You're not, yeah. right, you're not doing character design and that kind of stuff. Sometimes you are. Sometimes, sometimes you are. Occasionally, yeah. <laughs> we've had to do that on the fly when a client... Uh, brings us in on a project usually this is on the video game side yeah. where the game is not even far enough along to have finalized concepts done but they want to start thinking about the way that they're going to roll out the entire campaign for the project hmm. right yeah so we and, just get and, told hey this is the project yeah. and this is the ideas go to it and we're like yeah yeah, okay, one, here of, you go. one of the Elder Scrolls games, which I, I forget which one it was, uh, but they didn't even have any concept art at all. All I knew is that there was like an elf woman, like a half orc, and like a couple others. That's all the description I had. And so I was literally like doing character design on the fly on these concepts. So. You know, half orcs in Elder Scrolls. I, th orcs, I think man. it was, but no, this was a orcs. specific character. This was nah, a specific wrong. character. Nah, <laughs> <laughs> that's re that's really interesting though, because I'm I'm trying to imagine. So does that mean that it's just like, nope, 
nope, nope, nope. And you're like, okay, I'll start again, start again, start again. Is there a lot of that? I mean, sort of. They weren't nitpicking the characters, luckily. What they were really looking at was the the composition and the the narrative. Yeah, the Mm -hmm. narrative behind the concept. Um, It was the same thing when I'd done the... I was doing uh, cover concepts for the first Monster Hunter game. It was the same. It was the same thing. We had no concept designs to work with at all. So I was just like, "All right, crazy cool warriors and dragons." Like, <laughs> I was so freaking jealous of Daniel in those days. Oh my god! I was like, "You get to draw what?" Right. And <laughs> so you're so it's almost like the the concept before the concept (laughs) kind of kind of but that's where like for for both of us for both autumn and myself when we come up against those kinds of projects the fact that we were so interested in concept art initially when we were going through art center has been a huge boon to us the fact that we can concept design on the fly Mm -hmm. i think i actually ended up doing a lot more concept design stuff in school than daniel did like at a certain point daniel shifted gears and was like oh yeah uh painting because (laughs) when i get out into the professional world i'm not going to be able to paint so let me hit these teachers that i know i'll i'll have to pay thousands of dollars later to go to one of their workshops Mm -hmm. so yeah because i figured i could learn i could learn to to do digital on the job but on the job in the entertainment world, I wasn't going to learn to do watercolor or oils or anything like that. So I was like, I want to know how to do that. So (laughs) I I think it was my last year and a half or two years at Art Center that I focused predominantly on uh, traditional art. But it's not something I I was shocked to find out you guys uh, do sketches at the start of the, for for Mm -hmm. your projects, because, uh, when I watch your streams, it, uh, Daniel's painting this awesome you know, lady with a tiger, uh, a couple, couple panthers, and uh, 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 Autumn is doing D and D character art, and he's this is like you know rendering, finishing all this stuff. But yeah. your jobs are the sketching part. So, right. do you f- feel like you're uh, doing the personal work just so that you don't uh, get rusty on that uh, finishing p- portions, or? Yes. I mean, yes, but at the same time, I would say it's mostly so we don't get rusty, but it's not necessarily toward the finishing stuff because we're doing enough of of that that I think, I mean, you can get a bit rusty for sure and you need to keep up on that stuff. But I think for us, since we both have interests in art outside of work, just in terms of subject matter and narrative, right? Like if you think about entertainment key art it's very iconic right iconic first narrative second or third but if you love storytelling then you want to kind of keep up on that narrative type of illustration as well or just other types of illustration it's you know it's it's such a big playground there's so much there that and that's why you know you go to my stream and when somebody raids i i pop up what they may see when they show up and it may be uh, a spooky illustration it may be something dark it may be something light it may be something whimsical it may be pixel art it may be all these things and those are all the the avenues that i just choose to continue to investigate in my off time and it has always been that way it's always been this like 
okay, I like this thing, but I need to go and do this thing now because otherwise I'm just going to stagnate in that one area. So really streams for me are just uh, running around the playground and spinning around on the spinny thing so much that I fall off and then go and play <laughs> on something else, you know? Just to dwell a little bit more on the um, nature of your guys' job description, because I'm kind of wrapping my mind around it. <laughs> like, sure. Um, literally just sketching, and then so like then you hand the ideas off to then be taken to the next level of refinement and be to be realized and more finished. Or you guys are doing that as well. Where like, where does where do things go from your hands? Generally. Uh, it's a presentation. Well, so we'll do a, a full sketch presentation and that will go to the client. And then the client looks over everything and sends back that, yes, a uh, couple of things. It can either be, yeah, we really like the direction. Let's go do a photo shoot with all of the, the talent and then start building these posters based on some of those sketches. Or it can be, let's do some more investigations around this idea, this idea, and this idea. Mm -hmm. And then we we get another round of sketches and we go to it and and help refine it and then sometimes we end up going four or five rounds of sketches but then the next step is for these photo shoots to happen the the talent comes in and they do all these different poses based on what we've sketched and then all of those those images go back to the art art director who initially had that idea and that art director puts together the poster so okay. basically it goes, art director has idea. Art director gives idea to us. We execute in a way that sells it to the client. And then it comes back to the art director. Art director finishes poster. Everybody smiles. We get paid. <laughs> art, well, art director's finished poster then goes to the finishing department to fine right, tune, finishing. Fine -tune <laughs> every little pour in the skin and all the flyaways in the hair like they get into the nitty gritty and then yeah. client approves it and it goes yeah to print. <laughs> if you are a illustrator who loves that super like getting into every hair and like drawing every hair and uh -huh. you can do it uh over photos or something look into being a finishing illustrator because <laughs> yeah. That is your jam right there. Yeah. You will get time to just be like, no, that pour needs to be yeah. there and a little bit of highlight there. And then that pour needs to be there. And so it's definitely, if you're good in Photoshop and that's your jam, go for yeah. it. Yeah. And because, so what happens basically is we will, we'll present in one round of sketches, like some usually around 30 concepts, right? That, that we need to get sketched in usually four or five days, right? Which is why we'll have multiple sketch artists working on a presentation. But that's where you'll have five, six, seven art directors throwing in concepts, right? Because for one person to come up with 30 concepts and mm -hmm. execute them in like four or five days is just not, it's not really going to happen, right? And what would also happen is you would only get one mode Vision. of ideation, right? Mm -hmm. One style of idea. So you have multiple art directors throwing in ideas and then we're all kind of executing these sketches, you know? Um, yeah, and we and can throw in our own ideas too, if we mm -hmm. want, like they're always open to that. That's, that's what really taught me that art directors are badass 
yeah. uh, when, when, when they come to us and go, Hey, throw in an idea. And I spend like five hours going, huh? huh. <laughs> <I> know, right. <laughs> well, and we're approaching it from like the painter's standpoint, right. you know, so we're not just thinking about the, just the concept. We start thinking about, well, but this concept would be really good for this style, style. of painting, this concept. So we just start oscillating between like stuff that doesn't really matter yet, yeah. but it's hard not to when, when you are thinking about something that you would execute yourself as a finish, mm -hmm. right? you know, like it's right, a right. little, it just the concepting tricky. phase is so hard. So hard. It is. It is. I mean, you know, you can, we can, we can sit down and be like, okay, do the three quarter over the shoulder that whole thing you know i've never seen all those, that like, idea before never not once <laughs> that's actually we have a name for it in in uh in our circles we call it the unforgiven because that yeah. was the that was the the one with uh clint eastwood right right that in, was like the iconic one so yeah so in, you, in, you just reference that in in other fields there's uh traveling staff salesmen and it's the little guy that's like <laughs> yep, in the landscape yep. with the staff. And he's yep. like, yeah, yeah. here I yeah. come to conquer this castle by myself. And anyway, it's interesting to hear about like all of these tiers just for like one piece. It's like this guy, then this guy, then this guy, then this guy. And it, oh, yeah. they all somehow stack together and combine to make a coherent thing. It's kind of hard to imagine that so many hands can get put into one project i'm sure it does go haywire at some points but more often than not i imagine you know you got a good team working together and it yeah it, 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 shout it works. out to the people that keep it all in order because <laughs> yeah, it's not you like <laughs> leave me alone i'm drawing <laughs> creative directors and account executives they're the ones that kind of really sort of steer the ship because the account executives are interfacing with the client, mm -hmm. right? With, so, the, with the film studio or game studio or TV studio. So last, uh, last, last week we were talking to, to somebody, to an artist who had been in a position um, like that, where he was stumpy. sort of like within one of those layers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And his role was so super specific and un undeviatable is that a word anyway unwavering he, it is now. unwavering thank you so much <laughs> and, and he kind of got he kind of got burnt out on serving in that one very specific role um does that ever pop up for you guys or do you see it happen and do you have any sort of like words of wisdom for how to combat that um i mean for Quit me personally fine. <laughs> don't worry about it uh, for me personally, I, that's one of the, one of the main things that has kept me in advertising is the fact that, uh, one, we never know what kind of project is going to, to pop over our desks, right? Like it might be a romantic comedy. It might be an action. Mm -hmm. It might be a fantasy. It might be a sci-fi. So in terms of subject matter, we get to draw everything, everything, you know, literally, um, yeah. And then on top of that, we've had many occasion to use all kinds of mediums. You know, I've done uh, ink drawings, ink washes that have ended up in posters. I've done them for concepts. We've done charcoal. We've done, uh, I know I've done some, even done some watercolors uh, for concepts. 
I don't do vector. I don't even. I can open Illustrator. I did vector. You, rem <laughs> you remember? I know you. I know, I know what the icon chosen? looks like. <laughs> well, so when when he said yep. everything, and I thought back to one of the first projects uh, that I worked on at Bond, this one called Chosen, that yep. I, I ended up with. He did the sketch. I did the finish, and it went to the client along with some unmentionable, amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. So as you um, as you're as you guys are. Oh, sorry. I, I didn't. I don't want to cut you off. If you oh no, no. I was just gonna say I've even done some oil painting for it. So like literally, like done. Okay. Everything. Now, th that sounds cool in the game, but now I'm. But then I'm thinking while you're talking of the guy that's doing the hair flyaways and the skin pores and you know yeah. fingernail dirt and stuff and and I can maybe put myself in his position and think, oh my god, I gotta do <laughs> more. I you know hair flyaways. You know what's funny though is. That's a mentality that that's like for people who love doing mm -hmm. that okay. kind of like, like Meticulous. OCD art, you know, yeah. that very like, they love getting into that stuff. Um, because on top of that, what they're also doing is they'll finesse the lighting and the color palette a bit, you know, yeah. with a little more of say a painter or illustrator's eye, you know? Um, and, and if, like yes there's there's a nitty-gritty aspect to what the finishers do but i think there is still an artistic aspect and it speaks to a certain type of mentality you know i mean you look at some of those artists who's the guy is it is it royo is it louis royo who does those like super detailed paintings yeah but yeah. like traditional paintings and hmm. yeah. like crazy detailed so like that kind of mentality I think um, would you know would love doing that stuff. I love sketching, so I like the looser kind of art. But you know, so with that with that in so, mind, oh no, sorry, go ahead. I, I just wanted to interject back on the on the whole. You know, do you ever find yourself tired of it? Mm -hmm, um, yeah. What he says is absolutely true. There is a there's an uh, enough broad variance in it to continue to be interesting but i think part of that is the work environment that's fostered where we are mm -hmm. yeah. so yeah. um as a sketch artist if you're a freelancer you are you are i don't want to say a wrist but you are you are there for a job you're there to come in and execute the ideas and occasionally you'll be asked hey can you throw in some ideas and help us out on this one we're a little crunched for time um and you're not going to get those, hey, do this in, in oil and hey, do this in acrylic. And, yeah. and there's at, at Bond, they have recognized that we have a skill set that goes beyond being sketch artists and beyond being just like digital illustrators. And that and they afford us the creative freedom to flex in that way. And that is part of what makes that job so valuable to me. Yeah. Uh, is that they, they recognize that. And it took, you know, it took kind of us proving ourselves over over a number of years being like hey check out this thing that i did after hours which was mm -hmm. you know an oil painting and then you know the right people saw it and said hey we've got this client that wants this thing have you thought about maybe doing it in this style and that gave us the opportunity to kind of add that to our repertoire of stuff we can do yeah and they will i mean given given the right timelines on projects and some of them are pretty short um they will allow us to do those sorts of things when uh, budgets and and 
the timelines allow it. And that's, um, that's really what keeps that job so fresh and, and the mentality of waking up, sitting in traffic and going to this job is it's a small burden compared to other things, you know? Oh, man, you guys are making it really difficult to dig up some dirt here. Is there anything that you don't <laughs> like about your job? I, this is like, I mean, I think one thing that Autumn touched on, and it, and it's not to say that like we don't like it because it's it's one of the pluses I think that keeps it interesting, but can be one of the cons is the tight timelines. Mm -hmm. okay. That gets tricky, especially when you get projects just stacking up. Then it's, you know, from in just from the artist standpoint, you know, you know, you'll often see those like little statistics or whatever. That's like on the average workday, most people are only productive like three or four hours out of an eight hour day. No, nah. we we do <laughs> like a, we do a 10 hour day. It's not a thing. Often nine to 10 hour day usually. And you know, we break for like 20 minutes for lunch. It's not to say that we can't take more breaks. We could, but we're usually just like sketching, 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 sketching. Yeah. And if I only had a four hour productive time in my day, <laughs> we'd never Nothing meet our deadlines. We would Jeez. never meet our deadlines. Yeah. So we are productively sketching or illustrating for like a good eight to nine hours a day. Do you have any clients that just drive you mad and wish you they would stop hiring you? Like, Can't tell maybe you they... that. Nope. <laughs> okay. Explain <laughs> it for a different way. Does, do, do clients ever? Uh, here's here's the stretch? thing. Here's here's the thing. Um, even if we had clients like that, I wouldn't say it because, <laughs> um, well, it's not just my job Never that's on know the line. Who might be listening. It's yeah. It's not my job that's on the line. It's everybody at Bond, and I love those people. Yeah. And, so, and realistically, I, I would still say no. Are there occasionally projects where it gets a little crazy and unrealistic? Yes. But yeah. I don't think that there is any client where it's like consistently yeah. a huge pain in the ass or anything like that to do. And the luckily, luckily, they recognize. I mean, it's not like they come in and they're like, hey, we need this by such and such time and there's no wiggle room it's you know it's hey we need this by such and such time sorry but yeah we really need it i gotta meet my boss and if they gotta yeah. meet their boss then we gotta help them look good in front of their boss and yeah. you know it's 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 just making it's we are in the business of client pleasing so that's what we're gonna do yeah, Moose, our our evil plan to ruin these guys' career has been foiled. <laughs> They're fucking bulletproof, man. Um, Cami Bow in Cami Bow in the chat had an interesting question for you guys. Um, what's the main concern of your future as far as creating art? I've heard that artists never really retire, but what obstacles do you see for yourselves and in the art field in general? That's yeah. uh. That's a great question and one that I've honestly been thinking about a lot for the last, I would say, two or three years, you know, because like I love advertising um, for now. It's not something I want to do forever, 
you know, um, but it's, it's a tough one when what you love doing, like I love painting, I love traditional, you know, analog <laughs> painting. Um, but it is, that's a tough one to find the right outlet for these days, right? Because where the outlets used to be, if, if you look at Frank Frazetta, right, who was a huge early influence for me, um, those outlets are no longer there for, for a traditional painting because the work pipelines have changed, right? You could still do book covers, uh, for sure, but, um, most illustrations now in the commercial illustration world are done digitally because the work pipelines don't support working in analog paint, right? right. Because you're, you're going to have to make changes right up until the last second, right up until they hit print. And you can't do that if you're working in oils, you know, um, or, or say if you want to do a watercolor piece, you can't, you're like, well, I could repaint this whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the timelines are so short just because of the digital thing. And clients yeah. have grown so used to being able to say, hey, can you can you fix that like right there and move yeah. that over to there? And you're like, yeah. wait a minute, move that. This is oil. <laughs> yeah. I can, I can, so, I can paint another one and Photoshop yeah. them together for you. <laughs> But so if you think if I'm thinking like long term, you know, it's it's like I love painting portraits and I love painting landscapes, even though I'm not good at them. Um, but that's not what I would want to do necessarily, you know, like long term. But that's what kind of sells in galleries. But so what do you do if you like doing oil painted fantasy illustration? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. what's the outlet for that? if you still want to be able to make a living on those paintings beyond private collectors right? match the gathering basically right which you know compared to the advertising budgets <laughs> magic the gathering you know it's not you know doesn't quite yeah compare. you pretty much have to rely on their secondary market where they have the magic right, the gathering right. facebook group where yeah. uh you exactly. sell your paintings for exactly. 10 to forty thousand dollars per painting there totally totally yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's a tough one. That's why, like, that is a very good question. And I would say a, a tough one, at least for me to answer, because I think a lot of the things that I love doing are are very much rooted in the traditional art. Um, but at the same time, like, I love writing. I know Autumn loves writing, too. You know, so there's some writing and storytelling in the distant future somewhere. <laughs> somewhere over the I haven't gotten over that horizon yet so I'm I'm not sure where it is but it'll be yeah. there. <laughs> there's definitely I mean there's there's a variety of projects that will fill my time and eventually take up almost all of my time once um once a certain threshold has been reached with the advertising stuff and I don't know what that threshold is. I haven't really said it. It's not like I said, you know, I'm going to work for 10 years in advertising or 20 years in advertising, and then I'm going to stop and I'm going to do this and this. Um, given the way that the the world used to be, it used to be like you found that job out of college and that job became your job. And then you got the white picket fence and you got the retirement and you got the pension and all that. That's not a thing anymore. But... If you find a company 
that's willing to support you artistically and be there for you uh, through your ups and downs in life and you can stick with them through their ups and downs, then do it, right? And uh, Bond is that company for me personally. And I feel like that's it's a solid foundation for where I will go artistically in the future because not only is there the the emotional support and and financial support but there's also the creative support and the creative freedom so that being said i get to continue to do the art um daily at the work and then push some of the other things on the side a little bit more a little bit more a little bit more so that you know eventually if i get um if we have a battle royale and our and our mid-level comes in and just fucking destroy oh sorry it's fine just 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 destroys me and and i have to step down and shame then i have something to fall back on but Mm -hmm. uh that's way into the future as far as i can tell and i'll keep beating him down until he just stays down there (laughs) artistically speaking (laughs) no 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 i'm just swords and knives and absolutely i've got i've got my axe back there yeah you guys have a duel like like once a year muskets at dawn. So, yes. i do have a question though are, are you guys allowed to do freelance work while you're working at that company or is that strictly prohibited no we can we can freelance just not for other ad agencies because that would be a conflict of interest mm. um but outside of that, as long as it doesn't conflict with what Bond does, right? I've done freelance stuff. I've done uh, some s- stuff for Dungeons and Dragons, for Upper Deck, Privateer Press, and some other stuff. But it, it's things that have nothing to do with what we do at Bond, you know? And the nice thing is that if we want to do some freelance work, we can kind of take it based on how fun the project might be and not worry i mean we still and i'm sure you know both autumn and i would still try and drive that rate up a bit because as you had said uh earlier as we were talking artists traditionally don't get paid that much these days and so i always do my best to try and drive that rate up where i can you know even if it ends up being less than what my normal day rate would have been I still push them to pay me more than what they first come to me with. You know? Yes. Um, I generally just throw out my day rate. And if they say no, <laughs> then I'm like, okay, bye bye. Yeah. When you have, I, the, I don't, yeah. I, yeah, I don't have, it's not that I don't, it's not that I, it would, it has to be a project that I, I really believe in. I have a friend yeah. And and sadly, I you know I have I've met a lot of people in Hollywood and a lot of people in different in different artistic like uh, avenues like games and animation and all this stuff. But a lot of what they're talking about falls falls under the the purview of what Bond does. So they'll come to me and be like, "Hey man, I got this movie coming out and I want you to do the poster." And I'm like, "I can't do it." <laughs> I'm like, "Hey, go talk to Bond." And they're like, "Bond's out of our range, man. They're top tier." And I'm like, "I can't." can't do it (laughs) i mean i'm and here's the thing i'm pretty sure that if i talked to bond and i said hey uh i want to do this movie poster it's a friend of mine i don't want a conflict of interest there is no way that they would go with you guys because they're gonna pay me like a thousand bucks to do this poster 
and you wouldn't take that job anyway. Is it okay if I take this in my spare time? I'm pretty sure that they would be cool with it. Um, I don't, I couldn't guarantee it, but you know, but I respectfully acquiesce most jobs to them. Whereas if somebody comes to me and says, Hey, can you do this thing? I'm like, here's the contact at bond, go talk to them. Um, but the other stuff that falls outside of that, I always will shoot my, my day rate out to them. And most of the time they'll be like, mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> which is what you want they, they which wanted, is what you want they wanted to pay you like five dollars per card for a sketch right. card <laughs> yeah like, and i was like uh, uh... <laughs> okay, let me give so... you nobody i know's number you know that four steps because... of how to draw an owl you'll get the first step and that's it <laughs> draw a circle <laughs> but that does beg yeah. the question though we have a lot of people watching that aren't familiar with your industry so what are reasonable rates for a day rate or for a poster that's worth i mean well the, depends the poster, on your level yeah yeah the poster rate is a huge a huge range that that depends yeah. on your the amount of experience that you have um more than anything it even yeah. even skills aside you can have someone who's really good but they're new to the industry, they're just not going to command the same rate as someone who might not even be as good, but they've been in the industry for a long time. Yeah. Day, if you rates, wanna... day rates tri- typically for sketch art, at least, um, because you're, if you're brand new, you're not going to get into illustrating finished posters unless you're already an established illustrator somewhere else and they want specifically you to do it. Mm-hmm. But for sketching, um, you're generally looking at somewhere between 500 a day and 850 to 900 a day on the top end at this point. Um, some people yeah. that have been doing it like longer than I've been alive are more expensive than that, but um, you know, rightfully so, they've earned. But it. they're also <clears throat> top tier. Talent, they're top so. tier, but at the same time, they're priced out of a lot of jobs. A yeah. lot of jobs yeah, just yeah. can't can't afford that kind of a day rate and 850 i would say is these days pretty much the top day rate but if you know we know a cup uh at least i think a couple of people that are at that day rate and they are working a lot yeah you know almost almost full time almost full as as full time as they want to be for the most part at least prior to the pandemic yeah uh checking in with them occasionally here and there during the pandemic and being like, Hey, can we get some coverage from you? They're still busy. So they're still booked. So I don't know like how, I don't know how frequent that is. It might be, you know, so it might be that because it is advertising and, and it's not like these studios go to one agency, they go to multiple agencies and have them all pitch on the same project. Right. So, uh, it may be that one agency grabbed them before we did, but it's the same project. And then it's all, so it all is like they get, everybody gets busy at the same time. Right. Yeah. And then so. occasionally maybe they're not busy, but they literally just worked on the same project for another agency, in which yep. case they can't come work for us on the same project because yeah. that's also a conflict of interest. Right. So, so we did have somebody in chat mention that, uh, uh, they're a pro. They're pro. That's their name, pro. Uh, they uh, got a job recently for 10,000 euro for a month and a half worth of work. Yeah. And doing some quick math, that's well below 500 uh, day rate. So, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So, I mean, when I was freelance, this, and it was just before, it was maybe three or four months before I went full time. Um, but so my last freelance rate was eight fifty a day, and my my best my best month, I think, was about a seventeen thousand dollar month. Yes, I beat your ass. <laughs> yeah, but in all fairness, I was teaching for part of that month. Yeah, and and I beat your ass and ended up with like a fucking ulcer. So, well, <laughs> because I was working I, like three jobs at once. One one of the reasons that I had to, that I stopped teaching was because I ended up having to say no to too many jobs that just blew the teaching rate out of the water. As much as I loved teaching, it was just one day a week, but it was enough because you, you stop to go through the homework and, and grade it and critique and, and all that stuff. But I, I was just like, mm, I still I have student loans to pay. So I can't be saying no, literally saying no to weekend work, which for us means time and a half, right? Because we charge a weekend rate um, as freelancers. If, if they come to us on a Friday and they're like, hey, we need this walk in Monday morning. It's like, well, okay, then instead of eight fifty, you know, you're paying me eleven or twelve hundred a day to to knock this out over the weekend, you know. So and of course uh, that's you 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 only charge that if you're actually working the entire week and then in through the weekend on another Yeah, project. yeah. If, if you're if working you're seven around, days a week. Yeah. If you're sitting right? around for four days during the week, then you're kind of a dick if you if you're like, Well, yeah. weekend rate then. But yeah. sometimes, sometimes not entirely because it is a good um, kind of line to draw in the sand, I think. Otherwise, Absolutely. people do get used to being like, oh, well, we can come to this person for last minute work yeah. at any time, yeah. you know. And but in, and it also gives you a, a, a chip to play with your with your freelance people where you yeah. can say you can say oh hey this is weekend i'm not going to charge you weekend rate on this and they'll be like oh no 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 you can go ahead and charge it and you'd be like no 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 yeah you come to me yeah. all the time yeah. i'm just going to do this for you we'll do it at the normal rate and then that you know you give to them and they want to come back to you right so yeah. and sometimes they do they do say like no don't even worry about it we've got the budget on this project like just bill us for your weekend rate yeah. <laughs> you know this all sounds great because I know uh, for a lot of our community, they're like in the fantasy art business. Mm -hmm. And uh, that usually means like somewhere in the area of $30 an hour to $60 an hour. Yeah. And the numbers you're saying are significantly higher than that. So I guess your yeah. industry pays a whole lot I, better because a whole lot more money in it. I want to qualify this because it's really important. And I had to learn this lesson. You have to bring that rate to the table you have to be that good and yeah. if you don't you are not going to be able to charge that rate because people yeah. won't call you back so if you are charging 850 be worth 850 if you yeah. are charging a weekend rate be worth a weekend rate yeah so how do you so, know when yes, you're worth you 850 <laughs> when you that's, keep that's... getting called back yeah when okay yeah i had thought about this last night because we were we were um you had sent me the questions the way that you know when it's time to up your rate is when you are consistently saying no to people. There you go. Yeah. Because you are already on a project. If you are getting called weekly by four different people and say, and they're saying, hey, are you available? And this is how I raised my rate from 600 to 850 within a year and a half is, is I was consistently getting called. 
and I realized that I could keep bumping the rate on projects. And so I, I bumped the rate a little bit, told my, my agent, agent, uh, that that, I don't know what she was, man. She was, <laughs> she was the person that was like, Hey, do you got any samples of the same shit you sent me 10 times? Uh, <laughs> agent. Uh, and I told her that with your cut, I need to be at this rate. And eventually that rate was just 850. And so they, she would charge to the people that I was going out to like a thousand dollars and I would be getting 850. No. And that was, that was the day, but I then had to come in and be worth a thousand dollars a day. Yeah. Holy crap. That is some pressure. <laughs> <No> pressure. <laughs> that was serious pressure. There were days where I was like, I, I would go and I would talk to the project manager, just be like, I'm glad that you're my friend because I feel like I failed you today and I want to make sure that you're getting your money's worth. So if you want me to do some more weekend work on this, I'll do it for free. Uh, because I stumbled today. I just was having not a, a not good day sketching and sorry. That's, uh, that's the other side of it too, is that um, the rates are good in what we do in advertising. Um, they have budgets. You don't get the, say notoriety that you might get in some of the other industries because most of what we do, nobody ever sees, right? Yeah. 95% of what I do at work, nobody will ever see it. Yeah. And e even as a um, freelancer, I had yeah. to call any of the yeah. agencies and be like, Hey, I saw that this stuff went live from a year ago when we were sketching. Is it okay if I put out there that I worked on it? And then they would have to okay each individual one because with the oftentimes <laughs> with the with the client because oftentimes uh clients will circle back on things yeah. so you can put in 30 sketches and they go with number 10 but then later on for their home entertainment stuff they go back to those sketches and they go hey we had these and we have the resources can you do this one as a home entertainment type of thing or as a streaming thing or that sort of thing so they would not unlock those sketches for us to show so you know, 10 years worth of work. And I think I can show maybe five to 10 sketches. <laughs> yeah. And wow. usually we can only show sketches. The only thing we would ever get permission to show would be sketches that directly relate to whatever the final image ended up being. Because, you know, these days with social media and stuff, if, if I were to put out other sketches that didn't go to final, you're going to have some weird dude commenting being like this should have been the finished poster why did they go with the other one because they don't have the knowledge you know of the ins and outs of the industry to understand why the studio might have gone with the one that they did so instead they just start a big you know shit storm of of like this should have been blah 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 and then the uh studio gets a bunch of blowback and so that's why typically if it's not something that went to finish, they will not okay it uh, I, to be shown. I have to say, I've been that guy, but uh, in a more good-hearted way. Uh, <laughs> sure, I went to, sure. I went to a studio and uh, visited them, and I saw all the concert art they had on the walls, and I'm like, this is yeah. all awesome. I want to see yeah. all of this in the game. And <laughs> yeah. they were like, it's expensive to put all that stuff in the game, so we picked oh, one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then the other, the other side is with the high potentially high day rates in advertising is largely due to the fact that we have to be on point like 98% of the time, right? 
So if I do a hundred sketches, if two of them are kind of like, eh, they got away from me a little bit, that's fine. But in most other industries, you don't have that kind of like triage rate, you know, like you can, you can get away with having some off days here and there because you have longer timelines to work it out. We don't, you know, we'll have to knock out anywhere from three to five drawings in a day. And, and we don't have the time to go back and redo any, any of them. We can tweak them a little bit, but we don't have the time to go back and redo them. So it's like, we have to be on point, <laughs> you know? And so that's where it's a very high octane industry. Um, you know, I've, I've hit up people where I'll look on ArtStation when we have kind of been looking to maybe uh, expand the team a bit. And I'll look at people who, who have beautiful sketches, right? And I'm like, dude, these are awesome. You know, I'll, I'll hit them up and ask them, like, how long did this piece take you? And, and they're like, oh, yeah, I only spent about a day on that. I'm like, cool. Can you do five of them in a day? <laughs> <laughs> like, can you increase your output by 500%, <laughs> you know? And <laughs> so how often do they say yes, Daniel? Never. <laughs> Never. <laughs> so this sounds like a little bit of what like a, you would expect from like Paul Richards or someone. It, it, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, the, other, that's the hard part is then you get some of the people that can do it, but maybe they're, they've already got something good going and they're not yeah. looking to like get into entertainment, like uh, advertising, getting into being a sketch artist. They're like, already just kind of doing their own thing and, um, you know, have, have some good notoriety doing that. But you know. for, uh, just to circle back to the uh, prices, you said 500 to 850, but right. would 500 be like, like bottom tier, like you're just starting and that's acceptable or more, no, more no. or less. I mean, I, I, I disagree. <laughs> I think bottom tier is going to be, and it's this is because be I've, I've yeah, it's probably uh, right now. It's probably going to be like 350, 400. And that's yeah. that's green. That's super green. Coming in, not knowing yeah. what you're doing. When, kind of when I first started, when I first started doing sketch art, one, I had no idea what the potential for the day rates were. I had no idea because I didn't have anyone I could talk to about it. Um, and they hired me for thirty five dollars an hour, right? And that was that was when I was doing. Um, I was right out of school. Um, granted I'd been freelancing through school, but I hadn't been doing any advertising stuff. Um, luckily I sat right next to uh, a super veteran who'd been doing it since like 1976 or something. Right. So like four years before I was born. And so at least I got to pick his brain a bit and see how he was doing his stuff. Um, and then I think like three weeks later, the agency called me back because the client uh liked my sketches more i think because i had a little more of a modern style of sketching right because i was coming from having an interest in concept art and stuff like that and then i'd gone out to lunch with a few people on the team including the uh girl who was kind of in charge of, of bringing in freelancers and stuff and uh she maybe had a couple too many beers and let slip that he his day rate was 1500 a day flat there was no hourly 
1500 a day for him to walk through the door. <laughs> I'm just going to go crawl back and in I, my coffin now. I, uh, right? Seriously, no, right? I, I, was, <laughs> like, I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, what? How much? How, how? <laughs> 1500 a day. I was like, okay. Then overnight, the next day I came back in and I doubled my rate with them. And nobody batted an eye. There you go. So literally overnight went from 35 an hour to 70 an hour. Which is pretty much what happened with me. Yeah. Also, but basically because I cut the line and Daniel was busy and couldn't take the job. And he was like, call my buddy Autumn. Autumn does that whimsical shit. And so I got brought into Eisenberg and they were like, what's your day rate? And I was like, 600. They were like, okay. Okay. Mm. Advertising. <laughs> All huh? right. Making me making me think about some things here. Uh, you guys are you guys have both been talking about this as uh you know pretty high paced, uh high octane, yeah. I think is your exact words. Yeah. So visual nomad in the chat wants to know how has the pace affected your physical and mental health? And Don Lee with the follow up to that. Daniel, can you give us a percentage of the number of gray hairs in your beard that are derived directly from your work? That's such a good question because I saw a picture. I saw a picture literally from two years ago and my beard was black. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now well, granted, we can chalk that up to 2020. I respectfully granted, disagree. Dad, that camera was probably the settings. No, were I, know. I, he I had, had more gray hairs than that. Some gray, but not nearly what I do now. But on the other side, my dad had gone completely silver by the time he was my age. So, mm. but I'm half Indian, so I get the dark hair from my mom. Um, and dark, so, not feather. You know, yeah. And so up here, I'm dark, but up here, clearly more my, my dad's genetics. Um, it is, I mean, it's, it depends. It can be super stressful. I think it depends on how you handle it. For me, sketching is a meditation for me. So even like when I'm really busy, there is a calm focus for me while I'm actually drawing. What starts to stress me out is when I'm not drawing as much and I have to jump into meetings and get on phone calls mm -hmm. and, and I'm not doing art. When I'm doing art, even when it's super fast paced, um, I'm a lot more calm. Um, but that's and that's I think that's part of that support structure that he and I have developed. So yeah. when I can, I look over at him and I'm like, I got this one, dude. And, I, you know, I'll go and yeah. I'll, I'll field it just so that he can keep doing so he can. So he doesn't get as stressed out. And the same thing, vice versa. Daniel will do that for me. Yeah. So the, and, the and I don't think I meditate quite as much as he does during the sketching. I'm like, fuck, this sucks. What am I doing? I'm a fucking faker. Oh, oh I quit. Um, there there are definitely like there can be physical ramifications. Um, you know, I was uh let's see, that was 2014. So I was 34 when I um, went full time, which of course, you know, for any, for any men out there that are above 35, we all know how the metabolism changes. <laughs> oh yeah. And so it was, it was this combo of like all of, all of a sudden starting a full-time job where I was now sitting a whole lot more than I was when I was freelance and my metabolism changing. And that snuck up on me a bit and I've had to 
battle to kind of get back, you know, to my, uh, you know, trim, you know, beach ready, whatever. Um, <laughs> I, I think on a, I on a my rowing machine. <laughs> on a on a physical level, I went through. So I, you know, I came junior college. I had a job where I was working full time as well as going to school in a recording studio as a, an audio engineer and a, a web developer for some of the clients there. And I was sitting nonstop. Uh, that was from like twenty four to twenty eight, and not the years. That's my 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 actual age. Not not nineteen twenty four to nineteen twenty. Oh really? You're not one hundred and seventy. Are, are you sure? Because there's no gray there. Um, and I actually had that experience at that age, where I suddenly looked down and I was forty pounds heavier, and I was like, "What the? Huh? You know?" And so now, when I went into this job, where I was sitting more, I actually was able to foresee the consequences and combat that in a way that that was healthy and beneficial and kept me moving not only physically but kept me felt kept me limber and some of the things that i do are you know, stretching daily uh exercising three times a week at the gym uh stretching after the gym getting cardio at the gym prior to COVID. COVID has changed a lot of that. And I do my best to continue to do that sort of thing, as well as doing exercises to combat this movement, right? This shoulder thing, because as artists, that shoulder thing is going to kick your ass if you don't pay attention to it and do some exercises to help you with your posture, get your shoulders back and down and uh, work it in the opposite direction and all that. So I daily still during COVID have been doing shoulder exercises to help combat that because I realized that without the gym and without the heavy weight to, to keep that, that mass that, you, that helps to combat this sitting posture, uh, I'm going to have to be very cognizant of what my shoulders are doing because that is right up here is is kind of the hinge for the livelihood and if this goes bad there's going to be this constant pain that's going to be making like i'll still draw because i'm never going to stop drawing but if i if it gets so bad that i i have to push through it on a daily basis then it's going to make me not love something that i love and that is uh that's hell right yeah we have some friends who have uh, gotten into the habit throughout their entire life of drawing with their wrists and their fingers and are now experiencing in their low to mid thirties, uh, joint pain, arthritis or uh, tendonitis, and yeah. it's limiting them their ability to work at all. So it's yeah. something to, to keep it's, the better, ergo, the sooner the better, right? Ergo, yeah. Ergonomics and drawing in a proper posture are super, super, super important to your longevity. And so when I draw, I draw, like, you know, it, it, I don't know if you know the, uh, the air on chair, but I draw with it tilted all the way forward. So it's, it's almost that way. So I'm upright the entire time. And my arm is at a perfect 90 degree angle and I'm drawing from the shoulder when I draw, even when I'm standing here working on my Cintiq during a stream, I'm still drawing at a 90 degree angle. Mm -hmm. Anytime. And that's some... because uh, go, go ahead. ahead, go ahead. I was going to uh, say anytime. Just... <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 go, go, go ahead. 
No, I love I, you more. So what any, I was going to say. Anytime somebody asks me, how do I get better at drawing before I even go into anything like about actually drawing pictures, I'll talk about ergonomics and how your body yeah, moves yeah. and how your shoulder is. That's all I wanted to say, man. It's interesting because I, at work, sat in a really weird position for a while. And then my neck started hurting and I had to, I was like, wait, what is going on? Everything is the same. And then I noticed that I was like sitting with one leg up and I just took that leg and I put my foot flat on the ground. And within a week I was better. Yeah. Which evens out your hips with straight, which straightens your spine and, you know, and also, also pressure. I've noticed a lot of people will draw with a heavier hand and that what happens I is feel that, attacked. That I constant... feel attacked. I fucking feel attacked. <laughs> but that constant flexing and unflexing of of the hand and the forearms will cause a lot of problems. And that's where a lot of people they're like, oh, I can't draw for more than like four hours in the day because then my hand starts to hurt. And for me, I can I can draw for I've done 14 hour days drawing and my hand never hurts. Because more than anything, I use the weight of my hand and my arm to get more pressure. I'm not doing it by pushing and digging in really hard, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so if, if I'm drawing with pencil, um, it probably doesn't matter for people who are only listening to this. But for anyone watching, like, I have the pencil held way back here, right? Um, we can maybe get the camera to focus possibly but anyway i'm way back here on the pencil and if you drag that pencil along you get a nice dark line because it's compounding on itself as it goes down the length of the lead mm-hmm. so you don't have to push really hard to get a dark line oh yeah you know yeah especially and that's for in traditional that's especially valuable i wish there was yeah. some equivalent to that or they could develop some equivalent to that in um yeah, for the cintiq for the cintiq yeah because any people that mostly, are listening people that are listening mostly. if you if you want a visual for the the position that daniel's talking about um just like google overhand grip drawing and that's sort of like the more um you know traditional style that you see artists drawing yeah. in and that is a that's a almost effortless way to draw yeah. and improves the ergonomics so much and it makes me so sad that there really isn't a way around that in the the digital yeah. realm with at yeah. least so with the cintiq you can adjust the sensitivity mm-hmm, you know yeah. and that's what i did is i made it more sensitive so that mm-hmm. i can it when i need full pressure i can just literally use the weight of my hand and my arm to get it i don't need to push to get it because that's the one time my hand would start to hurt was when I was doing digital painting for 10 hours straight. Mm, yeah. There you go. Yeah, Huion still has, uh, what's, they call it their curves rather than their right. pressure studies, but same thing. Yeah. 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 And you can, and you you can, can adjust the, the curve well. in, on, on, on your Cintiq uh, yeah. within, your, within your Wacom settings. There's, a, there's an actual curve that you can change uh, as a normal Beezer curve and get it so that it's like Daniel says, where you, you just, like you're basically just kind of limp holding your hand there and allowing allowing your shoulder and your 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 elbow to do all the work, right? Yeah. Like drawing from the shoulder. And it then takes it more finesse the on the lighter pressure side. You have to learn that, you know, and that takes practice for sure. But you know, art is all about finesse, isn't it? So 
We should Fair learn enough. that anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, if we can, maybe just briefly uh, before we move on to uh, something else entirely, to come back to the, uh, the the professional side of things, how long have you guys been working at Bond? Um, technically, I think we both started doing freelance work for them toward the end of 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And then I was yeah. first. Yeah. Yeah. He started, he started freelancing first. for them. And then I think a project came up that was a conflict of interest because he had already booked on it with another agency. Is that Simpsons? So, no. Um, Friends with Better Lives. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and so then they, he referred them to me. Um, and so then I came in uh, freelancing for them. And then um, I was the redheaded stepchild after that. It was great. <laughs> um and then yeah then i went full-time with them may of 2014 okay um and then we basically had autumn there like essentially permalance for like a year year and a half that was so good it was because the thing with the permalance is that you're getting your freelance day rate and you're basically just coming there full time and And you're getting paid weekly once you once you get into the the role of it right so once you've so you submit and it's a 30-day net and all that but then you're submitting an invoice every week on a friday and getting paid every week on a friday (laughs) so you know within so within that you guys have both covered a pretty wide range of um occupations i guess i mean it's all you know you guys have both been working in commercial work for a long time um you know the sketching is you know the sketch art has been a a dominant theme but i I don't one of the things that i often think about is just like how many we talked about this a little bit earlier how many different levels and layers there are you know in a commercial work just generally whether it's advertising or not and it can be overwhelming for some people newer younger less experienced um one trying to find an avenue that they want to go down or even becoming aware of the number of avenues what the options yeah. are um mm-hmm. autumn maybe you can start talking about it a little bit what if you were talking to somebody you know that was like really fresh into this or coming freshly into um not even just necessarily commercial artwork, but what what are some good ways to go about trying to find out, well, okay, what are my options and how can I go about figuring out what among those options is going to be appealing to me? Wow, that's a, that's a tough one. Uh, mainly because I never really had to go through a lot of that mm-hmm. personally, right? I, I, the research that I did was initially in school I wanted to be a concept designer and I studied uh, character and concept design in school. And I met some of the teachers uh, who be- later became my friends and did and did all the things that were gearing me towards that avenue. And that was like, even back then, that was the hip thing to do. And that's why we have so many great concept artists right now is because those people got out of school and hit the, the industry and it just exploded into this uh, amazing amazing wellspring of talent right um so for me it was it was always right there it was once i got to school and saw what was happening i was that's my that's my focus that's my direction right and then once i got out of that it was what's going to pay the bills 
and I got I got some jobs that were paying the bills, and then I took something from a friend who used to work at Nickelodeon on Neopets. She got me an interview there, and I moved into that. And then when I was about to blow my brains out because that was driving me absolutely batshit insane, <laughs> Daniel was like, "Hey, have you uh, maybe thought about not doing that and coming and doing sketch art?" And then it was so it was for me it was kind of a natural transition. I didn't know anything about sketch art once again until Daniel took started doing it but for me it was a no-brainer because in my younger days i used to run through the video store and look at the the covers and i realized that i would stop at all of these different covers that were like illustrated right and and so that was a big influence on me as an artist and because i recognized that uh influence i i naturally said yes Absolutely. Sketch art is something that I want to do. So if I was to say to somebody younger to, to find the avenue that, that will help you to flourish, introspection. Take a look at the things that you have connected with, the things that have excited you, even if they seem obtuse, meaning tertiary to your everyday existence and you may not have thought of it. If it's something that is filtered into your day-to-day -day life and you appreciate it, take a look at it. See if there's an application in there for art. And if there's an application in there for art, then do a little bit of research and find out who the artist was or where it was published through or what the connection was, meaning uh, who at what company hired that person to produce that thing. So who, uh, as an example, a lot of people collect... Um, what are the, the little bobblehead things? I always forget what they're called. The little bobblehead um, things. Pop something. Yeah, it pop. Yeah, pop, pop, whatever. Yeah, Moose, you said it. I didn't hear pop it. Pop something. Yeah. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. So those. Funko pop, pop. Fun, fun called pops. That's it. So that a lot of people can <laughs> collect those, right? And, and they're really into them. They love them. And so somebody somewhere along the line had to design that. And that somebody is at Funko and that somebody got a job because they went to school for toy design or product design and, and have a connection that has that Venn diagram that overlaps between uh, product design and media. And they're like, Hey, watch me design a product that includes Wolverine or includes Iron Man. And it's really cute and everybody's going to love it. And we're going to make a ass ton of money, you know? So find that person find out what their path was and try and mimic it. Keep in mind that just you can you can see between Daniel and I that even though we have similar paths and everything, the way that we arrived at this conclusion that we actually get to hang out and talk all day and do art and and do all these things is we're vastly different kind of uh, approaches to figuring these things out. So everybody has a different path so when somebody is giving you advice it may or may not be the path that's going to work for you so in that introspection of like oh what is what's what's working for me and what's uh what what do i want to do with the rest of my life as an art and what is the thing that is going to keep me this motivated to keep doing it also keep in mind that even if you find that person and they give you that advice that advice might not be good for you in your path so you have to be introspective and determinate enough to know when to deviate from that advice to get 
further along on your path. End. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I would add to that, though, is, and it was something that I think I had to really learn along the way, was to not just look at what speaks to you and what you love, take a hard look at what you're actually good at. That to me will get you further, at least starting, mm -hmm. right? If you're good at something, pursue that. Just because you like something doesn't mean you're going to be good at it, right? So like I loved character design and to a degree, I still love character design. I don't think I would be good at it for say a game company or a film studio because I don't like the process. <laughs> that you have to go through the type of work pipeline, the iterative design of doing 20 different options that are all subtly different. Like, I just, I can't stand that. So I don't think I would be good <laughs> as a character designer unless I'm designing my own characters. Um, yeah, I mean, the main thing was I had to really come to grips with the fact that that I didn't think that I would be as valuable in a character design work pipeline simply because I didn't act, I didn't love that process, you know, um, even though I, I do love designing my own characters. So I think there, there's something very valuable in taking a hard look at what you're good at versus what you love. And hopefully they, there's some overlap. Hopefully there is some overlap. But for anyone who's looking to break into the industry, go with your skills. Go with your strongest skill set first, um, and then keep building the other skill sets. And obviously, make contacts. You know, some kind of key to what Autumn was saying there is like the more people you can get to know, the more overlap you now have in in that communication you know, as far as being able to look at like, okay, well, who hired this person to, to do this thing? You know? So you, yeah, I, th I think playing ahead. off of what Daniel said, there was, you know, I, like I, I kind of hit on, I, I started off wanting to do comics and, and I got far enough along in that career that I was given my first script and I was going to be working and uh, as a professional, I mean, I had done smaller independent things, but it was like a, actually a title that was going to be out there every month and everything. And I had to draw back on it and, because I realized twofold, my skills were shit. I was a 21 year old that didn't know anything. Uh, and, uh, I also didn't like, um, I didn't like the industry. Like I, I wasn't a good fit for the industry, um, especially back when this happened. So it just, um, I had this naivety, 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 whatever, that uh, I was going to find a place that didn't have politics involved. And, and comics at the time was hardcore politics. And I, and I didn't know that until I got into it. And was there was this like, don't talk to so-and-so. And I was like, I don't like this. And so I was, I just kind of went, Hey, I appreciate the opportunity, but I'm going to go back to school. And I was still at school. I was just like, I'm going to go back to school. <laughs> uh, and, 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 
and dropped out and never wanted to get back into doing comics unless it was for myself. Um, and then after school doing concept design after, after art center school doing concept design, um, and not liking the workflow and then doing, uh, whimsical stuff for Nickelodeon and not enjoying that particular type of office space where I was working on this stuff that was, um, it was, it was very repetitive and, uh, it came, a, it, it took a, a long time of kind of moving through these different fields and kind of shifting and changing to arrive at the conclusion of the things that helped me to flourish as an artist. It also helped that I had a best friend who, uh, was able to tell me, Hey, you know, maybe you should switch things up and maybe you should get out of that job and move into something that, that is a little more challenging for you because you're not being challenged and you're stagnating. And that in turn helped me to, uh, branch out and become bigger and find something that not only served me as an artist, but served my life. And pay you more for less work. <laughs> yes. So I have a couple of questions uh, that relate to uh, some people that might be want wanting to come into this industry. Uh, what quality of work is the sketchbook that you guys are looking for? Do you have an example that you can point people to or... What does it actually look like? How do I know it when right. I see it? <laughs> look, look up Mike Butkus. <laughs> uh, he's like top tier. Um, I am I'm so going to look that up. Uh, he's yeah. amazing, Joby. You're going to love him. B-U-T-K-U-S. Um, I always spell it with T two T's because I'm an asshole. <laughs> um, Mike, Mike is a badass artist. Um, super, super nice guy, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, Instagram.com uh, forward slash Daniel underscore Landerman. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it, it's a tough one because there is a range. Um, I, I don't know where I could point someone to say like, oh, here's here's like the entry level um, that, that I'd have to think about that for a minute. Um, there are... You know, plenty I think I of, have some sketches from like 2011 that I could show you. <laughs> um, I might, I might be able to, like, at least give a link to, not not an actual work sketch, but at least the style of something that that might have been like something I would have done a little earlier on. And if you um, share the link, I'll we'll even cut and paste it and keep it in the show notes too. So. Cool. If that's something that you're and, actively looking for, yeah. And while he's looking for that, uh, question, a follow-up question: uh, Are you guys working remotely right now? And if, and yep. can other people work remotely for the position, or or is it all uh, in-house after? That COVID? depends because we actually our computers are company computers, and they have little key fobs that go into the computer, and so there's all the there's the, the back end stuff and we have to dial into a vpn and and so there's a lot of nda compliance stuff that we have to go through so it makes it very hard for others to come in and do that work if they aren't already full-time so uh but other people that that we have worked with in the past um and we know that they are they are compliant we'll be able to work with them just not on big projects 
So if smaller projects are coming in that don't require that level of security, there's a possibility that they can come in and do freelance work. Um, but a lot of these big companies audit security systems uh, regularly to make sure that everything is compliant and that they're using the right systems for people that have to work from home and at this point anyway, have to work from home. Even in the office, there was there was a um, there were regular audits to make sure that everybody was was doing things according to these studios expectations of compliance because of the way that fans freak the hell out about wanting to see leaks. Don't understand yeah. it personally, but you know, it's a thing. <laughs> so we have to we have to make do right. So that's the major security issue is leaks and bringing on somebody that's never done it before. That's super green, the, uh, very low probability right now. Yeah. Um, Joby, I did whisper you the link. I didn't know what you wanted to do on Twitch. He was I, like, I, I hey, heard you. Here's, <laughs> here's that link. Here's, here's good stuff. I'm going to um, grab okay. it yeah. from there. <laughs> Half of your viewership drops. <laughs> um, and, uh, but that, so that was a sketch that I had done um, prior to going full time. So, I mean, it's probably. I think I probably did it seven, seven and a half, eight years ago, maybe. Um, and I'm not saying that it's like a beginning level sketch because by that time I was already, I was already, you know, probably up at around seven or eight hundred a day. Mm -hmm. But that gives you an idea of the type of sketches that we might do for a job, right? So that was a concept sketch for a possible Mortal Kombat X. Uh, I don't know if we we're doing covers or just general kind of key art. I don't remember, uh, but. How long would you have to spend on something like that? Uh, at that point, I probably would have been doing um, anywhere from five to seven of those a day. Yeah. That's an important so, part of the equation because some people yeah. might be yeah. tempted yeah. when looking at that. People might be tempted to say, "Oh, well, I can do that." And it's like, okay, but can you do yeah. Yeah, yeah. seven a day <laughs> yeah. and not feel yeah. like burnt trash at the end? Well, I mean, that's single figure, so you should be able to do seven of those a day as a sketch artist. But if you were, if you have more figures, then then yes, it's going to be a little bit slower than that. Um, I actually. We have managed to change, you know, yeah. over time. We've managed to slow the timelines down a little bit. But when I was first working with Bond as a freelancer on that first job, Friends with Better Lives, we're talking about a cast of six people. And I was still knocking out seven to eight a day. Yeah. But they weren't quite as tight as that. They were a little bit looser. You know, that one it was all about the dramatic lighting. So I had to really figure that out. That's uh, that's actually a good thing to mention is that uh, it, it, the pro it's the expectations differ from project to project. And it has taken time to to foster the understanding that each project kind of has a different a, a different threshold that you're going to have to meet with with the people that are coming to you with these questions right so uh prior to going on at bond i had gotten to the point with my clients where they would call me and they would say hey we got a project um we have it's a full sketch presentation and uh do you think you can knock it out by yourself and i would say well give me the give me the specifics and i'll tell you 
and you know they'd run down okay it's a it's, a, it's this this many casts this is the expectation of the sketches and um and they want them traditionally or they want them digitally and i would say okay well this this and this uh you might want to bring on one other person right so i would give them the opportunity to to make it not as stressful for me and and generally it, it started to work really well within those three years three years that i was doing no there's more than that anyway within those those early years of my sketching I started to learn the language that uh, of asking the right questions so that they could staff appropriately so that everybody would get the work that they wanted at the end. And it was generally those questions of what's your level of finish? How many people do you have in the, in the comps? Because if you get into something like comedy, you've got nine times out of 10, you're going to have characters on a white bi background, like super nice and bright and airy and fun and not moody. But as soon as you get into horror, you're like, okay, here's all this tone and erase out, you know, the figures in there and it's dark and it's scary and it's equally fun to draw, you know? And then drama, they want everything. They want the environment, they want lighting, they want the ensemble cast of eight people. Right. <laughs> so it's like, I, it takes a long time to do those, you know? And so I think we've been able to kind of sort of if they want a higher level of finish then there are times that we might only be looking at two or three sketches in a day yep. you know because if you have eight people in a cast you're still looking at 16 to 24 portraits in a day right because you need to get likeness on the actors I, I was about to say that was one of the important that is if you want to be a sketch artist if that's like the the avenue that you're going uh likeness 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 likeness, yeah. likeness you, and speed you, you those are your friends yeah you like to, you can you can get the face just right and then totally not not totally mess off with the rest of it but but be you know in the ballpark with the rest of it and people will still enjoy it right they'll still say okay yeah that's good but why out. i mean if you generally just make it close enough to the client recognizes the cast member isn't that good enough for them no, no un un uncanny valley, my mm -hmm. friend. No, but also sometimes, a lot of times, the sketches are getting shown to the talent. Yeah. And so if the actor sees a sketch and it just looks like a kind of derpy version of them, not good. So or if you don't, like... if you don't make somebody beautiful enough, yeah. like, but she's like, she's got wrinkles and she's old and she's going to, you'll be able to see that in the movie. They're like, nah, age her down like 20 years. Yeah, okay. Okay. Like, like it, a lot of it is to get the actors excited about doing the photo shoot. Yeah. So it's gotta, you know, it's gotta play to the, the ego, the, the, the yeah. person that's going to be looking at it. I, I, I would, if I, if, if you guys don't mind, I would even suggest that like, there's sort of like a, a spiraling out, starting with the eyes and going yeah. to the outer edges Absolutely. of the face and then Absolutely. the rest of the body in terms of a hierarchy of things that people are willing to forgive when they look at your drawing. The eyes are the last yeah. thing that people are going to give you leniency on. Yeah. And then everything yep. else becomes slightly less uh, important as you move further away from the eyeballs. And that's the often an ask, actually. I mean, or, or at least a, a kind of you know, addendum that they'll put on it is like, no, look, you can go a bit looser on the bodies. We just need good likeness on the face. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I gotta, I gotta put this out there so that people understand it. There, I am horrible at likeness. <laughs> I just absolutely f and suck at it. 
Um, and to make up for it, I, I trace off heads when I have to, like, if the project is like, we need more likeness, I don't have the time to mess around. Mm -hmm. I go and I find a head and I throw it into Photoshop and I trace it off and I make it pretty and I make it fit with everything else. And then I move on. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah, like, thank you. Yeah. That's like a time honored technique in advertising sketching is yeah, like, look at, look at Mike Buckus. Yeah. You know, he'll do, he'll do the same thing. I mean, you can go back years and years. Um, even back when like Robert McGinnis did a little bit of, of uh, sketching as well. I think for Slash, actually, you can still see some of oh, his yeah. sketches that he did for Slash. And um, I, I think he was lightboxing stuff, you know, but it would have been old school, pre-Photoshop, <laughs> right? He would have actually been printing things out and lightboxing it. I think I just have a fundamental uh, poor understanding of what the goal is for the sketches that you're doing because I don't know, I can, I'm still not entirely sure on why it matters that the actor why the actors have to see the stuff. Uh, well, like Daniel just said, because of photo shoots, you remember at the beginning when I said that it goes to the client and then the client approves it. Oftentimes what they're doing with that is they're taking those sketches and they're, they're uh, setting up photo shoots with the talent to fill out the poses of those sketches. So if, uh, if the talent picks up a sketch because they need to know what what their body language is or what you know how are they facing camera right um and they look at it and they're like who the hell is this that or that's but ugly is that what they think of me i don't want to do this so our job once again is to make sure that the that the people involved in the process are looking good all along the way Right, not just the talent, but the people that propose the sketches to the talent, right? So if 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 the if the people hand these sketches to the talent and the talent's like, oh, that's dope, can I have this? We've done our job. Because the other way that some of this stuff happens, the other way that some of the posters get built is with uh, the unit photography, which is all the behind the scenes photography, right? Which is super high res. They're shooting photos as they're filming. And a lot of times they'll be able to grab those because they're so high resolution that they can build stuff from that. When we're sketching, we're talking about what's called a special shoot, which is where it is a special photo shoot set up with the actors, right? Um, achieving different concepts that we have sketched out. Um, and sometimes we do what's called gallery sketching, which is literally single figure, no background, just a huge variety of poses that they will shoot shoot the actors in that then they can build different concepts from right and and especially with that gallery stuff you gotta have it at least look like them it doesn't have to be super tight it doesn't mean it has to be a really rendered sketch right a really rendered drawing it can be different you just want it to look like them um, I think we figured out the, the, the volume issue. I think it's when uh, there's some ambient noises in uh, Autumn's stuff. Huh. <laughs> Autumn is squeezing you out. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't want to cut you off if you still had a, a follow-up thought to that. I mean, not really. I'm just saying that sometimes the, the actors, they don't always have to do a photo shoot is a thing. And mm -hmm. so when they're trying to put them into basically like, hey, can you come back in for a little extra time? 
and do this, you know? So that's where, you know, sometimes we just, we just got to get them excited about it and show them like how cool this is going to be. So we have done, we have done just like stacks for some project of, of gallery stuff. Just, I mean, probably 70 something like gallery images. Insanity. That's intense. And I think that this would be a good place to interject a question that we had earlier. Um, uh, Ugo Jones asked, uh, well, at the time it was an unrelated question, but I think now it's highly pertinent. Uh, Do you guys struggle with perfectionism? And if so, how do you learn to balance that with with working in a fast-paced environment? The answer a little bit is in the question. That fast pace doesn't allow you to over perfect um because and i mean yes it takes practice because we're all used to before we get into any kind of a work pipeline we're all used to being our own creative directors and and just working on something until we're satisfied that it's done um but you start learning pretty quickly especially if someone comes to you and says okay look we can spend about an hour and a half to two hours on each sketch (laughs) that's basically that's 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 really our target most of the time Mm -hmm. and so then at a certain point you just have to see like okay did i hit essentially like the bullet points of the requirements for for this concept okay i've got the poses i've got the lighting i've got the likeness you know i can tell who's who okay on to the next one you know and and what we're what we're doing it up you can tighten it up but so yeah what we're and what we're doing is we are we are budgeting our time so that was something that we really had to learn how to do and both of us even going through art center you get a lot of these people that are like i had to pull an all-nighter last night i'm like dude it's not even finals what the hell is wrong with you and you get a lot of these people that just didn't know how to budget their time i think both he and i came in late enough that we had learned how to budget our time on other things so I did one almost all nighter where I got three hours of sleep going through art center one. And, and so it's that budgeting of time so that we can say at the end here, we want to have about four or five additional hours. So when all the sketches are in and everybody's looking through them, when people are like, change this, change that, change this, change that, we have enough time so that we are not right up against that deadline trying to get stuff in and not and we're not all slammed and not everybody's stressed out so it's we have learned how to budget that time accordingly and generally it's an hour and a half to two hours per sketch and we that's that's how we count out the number of sketches that are going to get done in a day and how many are going to get done on a project and how many people we need to put on that project to make sure that it gets done and so with that, basically, a key, a key factor is knowing your process. You know, as an artist, you have to know your process well enough. Because um, that was one of the things through. So I'm at the end now of my 13th year as a sketch artist. You know, but one of the things I always had, even going through school, was that I knew how long it would take me to get to something unless it was a brand new technique that I had never tried before. But when it came to drawing, I I've always known within about five minutes how long a drawing will take me. 
you know, and, and that's, that's huge. So if you know that, well, okay, drawings take me like four hours to get to this point, you know, whatever point that is, then you might, you might say like, oh, okay, so I need to work on my efficiency, right? Because, because that's what's going to make you faster is being more efficient. It's not about moving your hand faster because it's more about like making fewer parts, right? Be more efficient. Line economy. Be more efficient in your mind and art making, and that will get you to a better end result faster than just kind of just scribbling around frantically trying to find something, you know. Um, so, so just understanding your own process is is key, I think, to not being a super perfectionist, you know. But also recognizing that you're trying to sell a concept through. So it's not about as an art purist, it's not about what is the most beautiful sketch I could do. It's what's the most beautiful sketch I can do in this amount of time. Right? And that's that's a huge thing. Like, I can look at a lot of my work sketches, and it's not like they're the best thing I've ever done. But I'm proud of them, considering how little time I had to do them. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's... Whereas he'll... I'll look back at mine, and I'll be like, God damn, that sucks. <laughs> oh, oh yeah oh yeah okay yeah that was like an hour's worth of work yeah yeah that's i'm cool <laughs> uh, um yeah. well i if it's all right i'd like to switch gears a little bit um we wanted to talk to you guys about streaming because you both have stepped into that sort of as like a little side project side hustle um what were your motivations or interests in getting into streaming what drew you to that Autumn, can you start with that? Sure, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just want to be rich and famous. <laughs> End of story. Oh, streaming is definitely going to get you there. <laughs> oh, yeah, man, 100%. No, um, I was looking at, oh, honestly, I was looking for a way to supplement my income in a little, in a, in a way that would allow me to move out of this place that I've been in since my junior year of college. Um, I've been here way too long and I want to out, but I'm I know, in I LA and <laughs> can't hear you, Daniel, fix your mic <laughs> while I'm talking. Um, and so that was the initial impetus was just to get a little bit more money to, so that I could pad it a little bit and be like, okay, I can afford a place that's here now. And I can, I can move into a place that's a, not quite the, the crappy place that this is. Um, and that was the initial impetus was to kind of supplement something. And then as I get further and further into it, it's, it's shown me the benefit more of the, uh, social connection and the, the community and it's injecting something into my life that was, uh, sorely lacking that I didn't realize was a big vacuous hole. Um, and that is uh, a connection with creatives outside of my day-to-day -day work life. I love and adore Daniel. He is my buddy, but you can only take so much of his smiling face. <laughs> no, it's, uh, and, and so that the, I discovered that the connection with Twitch and my community and giving back to them in ways that helped to lift everybody up 
that has really become my push at this point. Like, it's nice to be able to put out some reference materials for people and have them excited about the fact that I shot for five hours here and, and tried to, to, to provide something for them. But it's even more rewarding to be on the discord and doing some 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 help or doing some drawovers for somebody's art and, and helping them in any way that i can and having them come back and be like yeah it's 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 it helped me to to move forward and then even more having somebody come in and say uh i I, I'm getting back into art because of you, or I am inspired to do more because of you. And I'm like, damn, that feels good. That's some dopamine. Let's do more of that, you know? So uh, it is definitely twofold, a little bit like, and at this point, I think that that monetary game has been offset by me being like, nah, it's all right. We'll, we'll put it back into the stream and getting, getting, you know, more lights and getting another camera so that I can do more traditional work and, and just getting more and more stuff to push the streaming in a, in a direction of building a community of people that are all positive and lifting one another up, you know, on my discord, I have a vented out channel and I don't like people to spend a, sh a lot of time in there uh, doing just venting because I don't want people to come to the server and be like, why is the vented out channel? The only one people are hanging out in, but it's really somewhere for them to be like, ah! okay, I feel better. And then walking out of the room, you know what I mean? Like it's the room to go in, scream as loud as you can into a pillow or something. And then be like, Oh wow, I feel better. Okay. Now I can go and be in the rest of the discord and we can all support one another and lift each other up, you know? So that's, that's my, that's essentially right now what what has brought me to where I'm at with streaming. The initial impetus was like, hey, this looks like fun and maybe I can make some money. And now it's, hey, this looks like fun and oh, look at all these cool people. This is amazing. I am definitely a um, extrovert introvert, so I need that time to recharge my batteries. But I really appreciate interaction with other people and it 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 really it keeps me going, you know? So even after my streams, when I stream late, I'm like laying in bed, trying to fall asleep, you know, <laughs> cause they get that energy going. Mm -hmm. I'm like, woohoo, a thing, let's do a thing. You know, where's the after hours party? Hell yeah. <laughs> so how about you, Dan? I, I couldn't speak to Daniel. <laughs> um, I mostly got into streaming, I think, because I really love just sharing the process. Um, that was one thing that I kind of found on uh, Instagram accidentally because I started doing little videos of my drawing process and then uh, it kind of blew up for a minute on Instagram and it seemed like people really enjoyed it. Um, I've always loved sharing art in general, right? I started posting my art back, I think, in 1997, started posting it online. Um, yeah, so I was 17 years old at the time, and uh, now that's more than half my life. Uh, and so just sharing art has always been kind of part of my own process. Uh, similar to Autumn, I like the communities that kind of get created around them. Um, and I just, I don't, I don't know, I like sharing stuff, new things that I've learned, or, or 
cool things that I learned, <laughs> you know? Um, and I, I just kind of, I enjoy that kind of back and forth with people, you know? So, and, and I love discussing art. I like talking about art techniques and materials and certain eras of art history and all that stuff. So, um, you know, I, I just, I like getting into that and it's fun to sort of, to do that live, you know, where I think there's an authenticity to it. Um, I've never been a fan of when art processes get too polished from a post-production standpoint, right? Um, because there, there's an aspect to that where it's like, it's not quite letting you know really what's involved or how long this might actually take to do. Uh, and so there's an authenticity to just working live that, that I've always really enjoyed. Uh, and I enjoy sharing that. So, yeah. So you do a lot of traditional work on your stream and in general, obviously, but you also do a lot of digital. Do you have a preference for one or the other? Um, for me, it always comes down to what my goal is. If, if the end goal is the, the final image, like just, I should say, if, if my goal is this story that I'm trying to tell, right, this visual narrative that I'm trying to tell, and I just want to get to that narrative, um, then I prefer digital because it's so much faster, right? And so because then my, my, my whole purpose with it is that end product. Whereas if I want, if for me the goal is the journey and the process, then I prefer traditional. Um, because there are certain things that I actually wouldn't want to do traditionally, uh, even with my own work, uh, right? There are certain subject matters. Like I don't love painting whether it's oils or watercolor i don't love painting sci-fi subject matter in traditional media i enjoy drawing it and i enjoy painting it up in digital but for some reason i don't love doing that traditionally whereas fantasy subject matter more organic kinds of shapes i love doing that stuff um, in traditional paint so um i i think if I had to make a choice, yes, I would go traditional. Um, but uh, it at this point, it really just comes down to kind of what my purpose is for the image that I'm working on at the time. And Autumn, I, on your stream, I think I've mostly just seen you do digital, but do you keep a traditional practice as well? Uh, I do, actually. Uh, I, well... I I used to. <laughs> I I I used to uh I mean I, I address it occasionally on stream. You might not be around at those points, but I do um oil painting quite a bit. Uh that was actually my traditional focus uh because we were doing so much uh sketching at work and we were using pencils and stuff like that so much that I did I wasn't worried so much about that end of the traditional i was worried more about getting in the stuff that i really enjoyed which is you know portraiture and figurative work and um and things that i wasn't doing as much during the day job right 
Um, so that is still kind of my focus. I've got a solid 30 or 40 surfaces waiting to be painted on. And at the beginning of this year, I had set out to do 52 paintings, uh, oil paintings this year. And I did really well. And I got 13 done in the first three months. And suddenly something changed. And I, I don't know what happened, but uh, just uh, lost all my drive to do that. <laughs> Historians <laughs> will ponder the mystery the of that forever. And, <laughs> right? Yeah. So it, um, it, I, I want to do more traditional. I just don't have the bandwidth on top of uh, the stream and YouTube video production and Dungeons and Designers and all of these other projects that are coming down the pipe. So rather than forcing the issue and keeping that traditional going, I do it when I can and fit it in here and there. Like I still like I'll still grab my board. It's literally right there seven feet from me so I can put it up here. Um, and in fact, I didn't even have to take my headphones off. <laughs> Famous last to words. Lift it up, right? Everything comes crashing so down. I just <laughs> drop it on my, on my table and do some gesture drawings uh, to, to keep that, that traditional going. For me, um, I was talking with Visser Obscura, um, who is one of the, our viewers between Daniel and I, we both, uh, and I'm sure on your stream too, uh, happens to be in the, in the community and was talking about, um, about ritual as it relates to art. Right. Mm. And it's for me, I've always found it to be really important to have that ritual to, to, uh, have that warm up in the morning and, and that, that gets me into the mode of what I'm going to be doing during the day. And anytime that I try and shortcut that process, I find myself lacking. And so I have to do that. Like there's the wake up, there's the writing, there's the warm up for art, and then there's the work. And that work is fed by that ritual. And that traditional sketching of gesture drawings, for some reason, for me, probably because I took gesture drawing every semester in seven years that I was at junior college and every semester that I was at Art Center, gesture drawing and figure drawing is is something that moves me in that direction, especially with a pencil and paper. Every once in a while, you know, you'll hear the little rumblings of this debate between digital and traditional, and I'm, we don't have to, you guys know what I'm talking about, we don't have to hash it out, but... Um, digital, all the way. That, well, the, I think that I think the bottom line of that argument always ends up being it's tools use the tools as they're meant to be used. But but yeah. that being said, do you guys feel that there is an importance for traditional in terms of maintaining a, a regular practice part of that uh, the part of that ritual? And if so, like, can you speak to it a little bit? Like, what is the value of having a regular traditional practice? Daniel, can you start? Um. Yeah, I think. I mean, for me, it partly would depend on how, how you paint. Now, the reason I keep up a traditional practice, one, is because whenever I decide I don't want to be in advertising anymore, basically, I want my livelihood to revolve around traditional painting. So I want to keep bolstering those skills so that I'm at a certain level when I decide to cut the cord and, and 
move in that direction. But the other side is, uh, you know, when you get into painting, whether it's watercolor, gouache, oils, acrylic, whatever, um, I think it pushes your understanding of color and color palettes when it comes to uh, planning out paintings. I think it pushes it much further than uh, digital because it's more limited, right? So you have to make very conscious choices as far as really thinking about the color palette that you want this painting to be in, right? Whereas digital, we could we could render it up however the hell we want, and then we can fine tune the color palette later, right? We can do that with overlay layers or color layers or however gradient maps. I mean, it doesn't doesn't matter. There's a million ways we can fine tune a color palette, but I think to elevate your use of color to a place where I think it becomes a higher level of art, right? With a capital A <laughs> kind of thing. Um, traditional pushes that understanding of color so much more, right? Um, and and you just, you develop a, a certain kind of like kinship with the color. It's not just moving around on a, on a square and, and HSB sliders and, and whatever it's, you know, you're working with ultramarine blue and it might be a green shade or it might be a red shade and manganese blue and, and Indian yellow versus cadmium yellow medium, you know, like why, what's the difference? And then you learn as you kind of limit your palette. Um, Cause I have however many, six or seven colors on my palette, you know, on my oil painting palette. And then you learn how much can I do with those, you know, and you learn really how, how much you can do, like how broad of a spectrum you can hit with those colors because you just understand how well they work together. And you start to then delve into more and more layers of subtlety when it comes to temperature shift uh, value shift, uh, as well as hue shift, you know, and, and learning the, the importance and the strength of maybe shifting temperature, color temperature to turn form instead of just shifting value, which can start to make your value grouping in your image a lot more spotty. So to keep that stronger value grouping, you know, you might rely on more subtle ways of, of turning forms and, and indicating um, uh, indicating different materials and all that stuff. And, and I just feel like traditional media lends itself so well to that, to that very kind of cultivated sense of subtlety when it comes to, uh, color palettes, uh, and line weight mark making when it comes to the drawing side of things, not just painting, you know, um, learning to use a brush for drawing, um, you know, teaches you something about line quality. <laughs> that you're not going to get anywhere else, really. <clears throat> How about you, Autumn? You have any thoughts on that? Oh, I'm sorry, I blacked out somewhere around color. What what, what, was, <laughs> what were we talking about? What is color, precious? <laughs> What's the colors, precious? <laughs> um. Uh. I feel yes, yes, there is most certainly something that you can gain from uh, a traditional practice on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but that's not to say that it needs to be done even on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, it's just something that that 
like any other skill that you have, uh, if you can keep it up, it's going to serve you better along the way. Um, and that is primarily because of, and I, I mentioned this in one of my YouTube videos, uh, YouTube slash AR Turkel. Um, in the show notes. <laughs> it's, uh, is that you can't zoom in to a, a drawing. And I mean, you could use uh, a, almost said microphone, uh, a magnifying glass. Use a magnifying glass, but I, you know, and there's not, a, there's very few artists that are going to be like, oh, I need to do fine lines and, and bust out a magnifying glass. To do that. <laughs> uh, um, you're, you're going to be working with a, a canvas that doesn't zoom in and you're going to be working with the limitations of the size that you decide to draw in. You're not going to zoom in and be pixel perfect with little things. You're going to make some marks that are native to your hand. And those are where style comes from, right? So you're, you're going to get that mark and then you're going to do a counter curve and all of these things are going to lend itself to being a style. And while digital most certainly has style and flair and flash, a lot of that has arrived at zooming in, zoom back out, zoom in, you know, and and really thinking about shapes and everything. But when you're drawing traditionally, you're you're locked in, and I think that's an important thing to to uh, recognize as something to give you the potential for growth and understanding of your own art and the way that you express lines or or shapes and curves and and all of the different things um, to have limitations. And to not have everything right at your fingertips where you can zoom in or undo and all that stuff, like making editorial decisions on the fly. That's what art is about, you know, where you you're, you're like, oh, this thing. Uh, no, nope, not that thing. Uh, all right. Well, there it mm -hmm. is. That's the thing, you know, and then taking that decision, cataloging it and coming back to it later on. That's all it's pretty fundamental to the experience. And I feel like that's something that digital doesn't lack. You still make those same decisions. You still go through that process, but because you can undo, it doesn't have the same kind of gravitas, right? It doesn't have the same potential for being the end product because you can just be done. All right, here, I'll undo that. I'll redo that. You know? Um, so yes, I feel like, uh, it is really important. And for me, um, there is nothing as demonstrate demonstrably um, humbling as oil painting. <laughs> and that's an important place to be in because you get onto the, you get onto the canvas and you mix something up and you're like, yeah, <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> you know, or, I or just, you, you I just work too it. fast, right? Because you're so used to digital, you just start flying through stuff and you put, a markdown and then you're going to put a second markdown and you're thinking command Z or control Z with that other mark and you just, you stop and you realize you're like, shit. When I was, <laughs> when I was using iPad, uh, when I was using the iPad a lot and procreate, you know, the two finger, uh, double tap undo. What are we yeah. talking about? Yeah. <laughs> I got into such a habit with that, that I would yeah. find myself doing, sketches for clients at the tattoo shop that I work at <laughs> and like trying to double tap the drawing like yeah. as I'm working on it yep. they're and then, looking at their arm they're like what are you doing <laughs> not while I'm tattooing now I'm just like just sketching at a consultation yeah 
but then playing it off like i'm just like brushing away a piece of dirt yeah (laughs) or or i'll go the other way and i'll be sketching so much on paper that then i'll brush stuff off of my antique oh yeah every time every time damn it (laughs) um well shit you guys um we we're going past two hours that's not a bad thing um but we are it's flown by it's been an awesome conversation we did have something that we wanted to hit we touched a little bit about pricing earlier um moose i don't know you'd probably ask it more concisely than i would you want to return to that that topic and and ask that because it's a great lead-in to the actually the next guest that we're going to have is we're going to talk um, almost entirely about pricing, but I thought you guys might have, uh, we thought you guys would probably have some good thoughts on that as well. Moose, please. Sure. So, uh, Autumn had been hanging out in Steve sketches chat and, uh, a few times he had said, uh, raise your prices. And which was interesting to me because Steve is among the most, uh, more highly paid people in the fantasy art community. Hmm. So I was just curious, why do you think he needs to raise his prices? What should he raise them to? And in general, how should uh, people be able to figure out how much they're, how to price their work? Okay. I thought about this. <clears throat> um, all we have in life. <laughs> Jesus. Is all we, no, all we have in life is time. This is literally all we have is our hours of the day. Um, how important are your hours of the day? Do you want to spend your hours of the day working overly long hours, doing work for somebody that isn't paying you what you're worth? Or do you want to be paid what you're worth and have additional time for the things that are important to you beyond your art and your growth? So what is it going to take financially for you to only take the work that fills the hours that are your work day. How much money do you need to to make that a reality? What does that mean on an hourly basis? Is that $50 an hour? Is that $100 an hour? Is that $1,000 an hour? Whatever it is. Uh, uh, Yes. Yes, that one. Yes, it's a thousand. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Uh, (laughs) What is that going to take? Take that. Say my work day is going to be eight hours, right? And then divide that or, or, or multiply that rate until you get to this is my day rate. If it's $50 an hour, then you're a $400 a day kind of person, right? And then look at how fast you work, right? And then look at what it takes to do a drawing and then divide that. And that is how much you want to get paid for that drawing. So that determines your day rate on a project. If you know how much, how long it takes you, and it's a really short amount of time, don't fucking tell anyone, just <laughs> charge them the money. Yeah. If, if you're no, seriously, fast, if you're fast, I know, I agree. Uh, that's, that's a huge thing. Like, like if you can do something in three hours, that would take someone else five hours. You know, do it in three hours and send it on the fourth hour. Um, and and in the meantime, you've got two more hours to work on the next project. And I'm going to I'm going to say it sounds it sounds skeezy, right? There's it makes you like, oh, no, that's not right. It is right. And here's why, because you have spent 
uh, in Daniel's case, like 80 years getting as good as you are. There you go. So <laughs> all of that practice, all of that time that you weren't getting paid, you're getting paid for that now. And that is an important thing. Recognize the amount of skill and the amount of effort and the amount of stick to it, stick to the amount of how, how much you had to stick with it. <laughs> stick to itiveness it took to get where you're at and make your rate that uh, pay you accordingly. Yeah. And so when I say that to Steve, I'm saying, look at your work and look at how fast you work. You're worth more money. Yeah. The, the, the speed, uh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, the, yeah, the, um, it, I wanted to just emphasize uh, the thing that you said about it not being skeezy. Like we can just like take the skeeziness out of it and actually like celebrate the fact that being faster actually makes you more valuable. And that's okay. Yeah. It's okay to say that I do this in half the time that the next person does. And therefore you should pay me more because if you're paying him, it's taking you X amount longer to one, get the product to see how well it's going to fit into the whole rigmarole. I, all of the things that yeah. come after the drawing itself are just happening yeah. that much more faster. And if you're providing the same quality or better, that makes you more valuable. That's okay. It's almost an inverse proportion to the amount of time that it takes you to how much you should be charging counterintuitively and with right. some stipulation, blah, blah, blah. But And on, on top of all of that, if somebody bulks, and I said this in Steve's chat, if somebody bulks at your prices, they're probably going to be a problem client. So you don't want to work with them anyway. Forget about it. Move on. There's better clients that will pay you what you're worth. Yeah, it's it's interesting in my experience. And I know I've heard so many other people voice the same sentiment. Um, it's usually the the penny pinching clients that are the worst to work with. The more money they're paying you, the easier they tend to be to work with because they're trusting that you're a professional. They're treating you as a professional, and they're trusting that you that you can do what you say you're going to do because they don't have the time to handhold because they've got a lot of important things going on. Um, and so oftentimes when you start getting to a higher price range, um, clients start to respect you a bit more, you know? Um, and I, I had that, uh, I think it was sometime early last year. I was, you know, I pushed, uh, they, they had actually come to me. This was a, a job outside of, outside of work. Um, but they'd actually come to me with a pretty fair rate already, but I still upped it just because. Um, and as a result, I mean, the client wasn't nitpicky. The people whose likeness I was trying to get were rather nitpicky. And then they came back and were like, one of them was like, there just feels like a very guy heavy poster. You know, I'm like, well, you shouldn't have had the entire, you know, <sighs> list of people be men then. <laughs> what to tell you. Um, but <laughs> what happened was on top of them already offering me a fair rate, then they decided to go a different way. And then they just basically said, okay, we're, we got to pull the plug on this, but here's the uh, kill fee. And I didn't even like say anything about a kill fee. They just offered that, which is usually where if you don't go all the way through the contract, right? Um, you don't finish the image, they still offer you enough to make the time that you put into it worth it. 
right? So so they're not like, never mind, and then they're gone. It was like they just it was part of the way that they do things because they're professionals and you know it in it makes a difference. So when I've taken jobs that were like just not paying me much, they were often flat out not worth the money that they were offering because the amount of time I spent revising stuff or I'm like, dude, you guys are lucky to be getting anything from me. <laughs> you know, stop revising. <laughs> I do want to. Um... Uh oh. Okay. <laughs> cool. Well, we don't. For those for those yeah, listen, not... for those listening, Moose has this awesome thing that happens where his Discord just drops him. He'll be back in one second to answer the question that the art gods did not want him to ask. Apparently. I do want to circle back to what Autumn said about uh, the daily rate being relative to your costs. And uh, well, fortunately for some people, they either have a sweetheart deal where they're able to have very low rent because they were grandfathered into something. Uh, And that would then, or if they live in a country like Poland or somewhere in Southeast Asia where they can live on a thousand dollars a month. Right. So, at that point, you're, the advice would be to charge less because you can um, get away with it. But if you, how would somebody that's like live, living uh, in like, a, let's say Los Angeles or New York City, how much would they be charging relative, instead of just saying, what's your situation? Because some people are in, everybody is in different situations, but let's say a, a highly skilled artist, how much should they be charging? What's realistic? Irregardless of world location, you mean? Yeah. Um. It it really depends. It's there's there's a there's a broad range, right? So I can I can charge whatever I want because I have a a, a separate career. So if I'm going to do freelance stuff, I can I can pick and choose the projects I want to work on and say that you know, hey, let's open a dialogue. You know what? Wh- I, I know that you can't ma- match my day rates, but what's in your budget, right? So I have that luxury. You don't have that luxury. Um, it really comes down to how close to the how close to the razor's edge do you want to walk, right? Like in LA, if you if you're you know average, most people are spending five to seven thousand dollars a month to live. Between everything, right? Between between your your rent, your utilities, your car, your insurance, your taxes, all that stuff adds up. So you need to have that kind of padding, right? Um, so you know that you have to charge a certain amount with, when you're in those cities. Uh, if you're a skilled artist outside of those cities, um, and it doesn't it getting that much a month getting you know let's say bottom line 7000 a month is is above and beyond anything that you need charge it anyway get into it put it into a retirement account because you're going to need it as an artist you're going to you're going to wreck yourself Thank look you. at professional athletes their their timeline is like up through up through like college and then some a few years after college and then their bodies are destroyed there is no difference between top level artists and top level athletes they are equally destroying their bodies just in different ways you are sitting so much that you're you're going to have back issues when you're in your 50s 60s and 70s guaranteed which means you're not going to be able to sit 
as long as you once did, which means that you're not going to be able to bring in as much money as you once did. So strike while the iron's hot, get that money, put it into a Roth IRA, put it into an, uh, an SEP IRA. And you can, with an SEP, you can take 25% of your entire freelance income and put it into an SEP every year. The way that you do that is hold off on paying your quarterlies and go to your tax person at the end of the year and go, how much can I put in? And don't submit these until the until I go home and make the transfer into this SEP IRA. And it will be exactly that amount that I transfer in because all of that money that you've been making throughout the year has gone into a savings account that you can immediately transfer over. So it goes savings account, tax person, get the number, go home and transfer it to your SEP. And that money stays in there until you retire. And it is going to be super beneficial. Yeah, don't buy the hype. Paying quarterly is a scam. But thank you yeah. so much for saying that. It's like, <laughs> it, it's so fucking awesome what you can just I said. Can I qualify it real quick? Can I qualify it real quick? Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The, uh, you can also do a post-tax Roth IRA, which means that it, it's after after all your taxes, you can put in another 6,600 or something like that. But you have to talk to your tax person because if you make above $139,900 a year, that's phased out and you can't put as much in. But that money is never taxed again. It's taxed at the rate that it's at now. And then later on, you are you can take it out and it's your money. It's as if it was in a savings account, but it is accruing uh, dividends and whatever else, wherever else you put that Roth investment. And you are also not required to do minimum distributions every year in retirement, which means that in retirement, if you have a Roth, you save on taxes there too, because you don't have to take any money out. It's not required by law. The other, the other thing that I'm really excited that, that you said, you know, is when you're referring to lower um, standard of living, not in itself being a good excuse for charging less and the, uh, this because this is this is an objection you hear all the time. It's like, well, I live in Indonesia. Twenty five dollars an hour is 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 riches beyond you know whatever. But it's like your sports analogy is perfect. It's like if if you're playing football in Indonesia or you're playing football uh, in Los Angeles, you're still getting smashed in the head every day. And if the person in L.A. is getting paid fifty thousand dollars a day to have that done to them that's your peer it, it's it has nothing to do with the place where you live like the the, the mm -hmm. government and the local economy is not the, those aren't that's not your peers that's not the peer de, that's not deciding your peer group it's the other people in the industry that are so it's not this like selfish thing that i'm saying to you if i'm like please charge more because you're undercutting me yes that's part of it but more than that it's like why are you undercutting yourself? We're, to, we're like the we're whole worth more than that. yeah, and like the the conversation Not just being worth more than that though. It's also like look at we're talking about art, right? Especially if we start talking about commercial illustration. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, if you're doing if you're doing work for a video game company, I'm sorry, they're not only making their money in Indonesia, they're making their money from a worldwide audience. So. Thank what you. you are making should not be based on where you live because the amount of money that they're pulling in has nothing to do with where they're based yeah. mm -hmm. at all. It mm -hmm. is a there worldwide audience and there is a flat rate there. And you know? honestly, like uh, regardless of everything, use use your skill to lift up, up the people around you. You know, yeah. it's uh, 
take that money and and if you have it after after you have paid your taxes and your healthcare and your living expenses and your everything and your food and all that take care of the others around you you know once you put it into the retirement and you have your you have your retirement account you have your savings account you have your health savings account take what's left and go okay i've got i've got $500 here that is above and beyond the budget and and help people Give it to people. Give it to family members. Give it there to friends. There you go. Like, uh, subscribe to people's streams. Right. <laughs> right. Twitch.tv forward slash A-R-T-U-R-K-E-L-R. <laughs> or Patreons. <laughs> or Patreons. Yeah. Support, support your communities the way that you've been supported, right? So there's, there's no reason that you shouldn't be charging what you're worth in the in the overall market, not just the myopic place of where you live. Yeah. So simply put, aim for a minimum of five thousand dollars. And then above that, if you're like you mean a month? level, a month. You mean right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And then if you're above that, then go for seven thousand a month or and, and, and my, month, whatever. My personal opinion is a minimum of five thousand as a entry to mid-level yeah right okay yeah and then mid-level definitely six to six to seven and then above that if you're if you've been in the industry for 10 years uh a thousand dollars for every year you've been in it you know (laughs) because i mean especially in the united states that uh you are paying your taxes most of the time you are paying freelance taxes which is another 11 percent on top of the whatever bracket you fall into probably right now about somewhere in the 15 to 24 percent so immediately you're looking at 31 to whatever i don't math percent taken <laughs> out of your taken out of your your money so you're looking probably somewhere around 30 something percent right so look at that $5,000 and say, what am I taking home? Oh, I'm taking home like 4,100, 4,200. Not even. I don't math. So <laughs> then, and do that for every one of those brackets. And you'll see that you're not actually making what you think you're making. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because that's all going to cut into the bottom line. And that's just the taxes. Then yeah. go, hey, health insurance I, and- <laughs> I need to pay my health insurance. I need yeah. to pay, you know, I need to pay for or I need to put money into a a retirement account. You need a retirement account. I am not going to stress this any less than I already have. You need it. Yeah, that's a tough one because as artists, we think we're never going to retire, right? Because we're going to paint and draw all our lives. But but that doesn't mean that you don't still retire, but then continue to draw and paint. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know? And, Um, and you're going to need that. So there's this thing called forced retirement. Mm -hmm. Uh, By all accounts, uh, two of us in this, in this call right now are going to be forced to retire. Hmm. That's, that's just the number. So um, have fun, Daniel, have fun, Joby. Moose and I are going to keep rocking. I already <laughs> retired myself, so it's... <laughs> I'll be over here. Fuck it. Uh, and basically, what that is is like you're getting you're getting 
twofold. You've either gotten too sick to work or you are, you're basically put out to pasture because uh, you just don't fit the description anymore. You've locked yourself in, you're not malleable enough in the brain, and you haven't continued to advance your art and your style in a way that is, that is useful to what the next iteration is going to be. So you're not getting enough work. You are forced to retire. And at that point, you have to look at your retirement funds and say, okay, this is the lifestyle that I'm living until I die. So put that together so that if you are forced to retire, you have that there and you don't take this huge hit to your lifestyle. And then you can transition and, and rather than saying, oh God, I was put out the pasture. What am I going to do now? You can be like, hey, all right. Okay. I'm going to go do some art and I'm going to do some stuff and it's going to be great because <laughs> I've got all this budget that I planned on. So who was the, uh, the poster artist that basically was forced to retire because the uh, market moved to digital? Uh, was it Drew Struzan? Probably. Yeah, yeah. probably. Yeah. I'm going to guess. I mean, he's come out of retirement a few times. Right? For, <laughs> for but, a million right, dollars. Right, because they offer him a million dollars to do a poster. Yeah, that's um, like Mike Tyson coming out of retirement. Yeah. 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 And, and, and it was just about like Mike Tyson's fight too, the poster. All right, Drew. Wasn't it wasn't that good, my friend? Uh, and Ouch, yeah, I mean, this <laughs> <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> end hey, of the interview. Technique, technique wise, <laughs> yeah. dude. Drew, whatever. He's a badass. He's a badass. Yeah. You know, yeah, but yes. but it was it was tough. I think um, between the shift in in dic- uh, techniques, like you said, from digital or from traditional to digital. Um, and also just the, the demands that people have nowadays for what they want things to look like, you know, and adjusting them on the fly. Yeah. 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 Even though like he could do that, like amazingly enough, his technique was developed around that, um, to be able to change, make those kinds of changes at a very high level. Um, but that, that's why, because, you know, advertising is like, this looks great. This finish is awesome. Can we turn their head a little bit? And you're like, just rotate that. Yeah, I can repaint the entire head. That's fine. Just, you know, give me a day. Yeah, I had a fundamental misunderstanding of what it was you guys did before the start of this interview because uh, right. the only exposure <laughs> to this I had was watching the man behind the poster, the documentary on Drew. Right. Yeah. So I was like, I was expecting you guys to be talking about, like, oh, yeah, this guy wants to draw, uh, have all the characters on the left side. We have to talk about balancing that. And I'm like, you guys are talking about sketches now. I'm confused. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, and so that's why, like, in that, I love that documentary, by the way. Um, but there's a whole, there is a whole part of the process that that isn't talked about in there, um, which is that sketch phase, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so even most most of the time, the concepts that Drew would get were still coming from the studio. Right. So he didn't always have to concept the entire thing from start to finish. Much of the time you would have an agency like ours um, developing the concept and then he would get a finished idea and then he would make it into a Drew Struzan poster. Right. Um, And make it look awesome because most of the time, like I said, one person can't knock out 30 ideas in a week right? Like 30 different unique ideas in a week. They just can't really do that week after week after week. So you need a team of people on the other side getting through that process, 
Right. Yeah. I, so. I, none of this stuff is done alone. It's, it's, yeah. and that was one of the things that I really had to come to terms with because I'm have such an ego. Um, <laughs> well, I, and I, none of us knew, right. We were all in, in the same boat moose. We didn't know until we were in this that yeah. like what, and what went into all of it. We all thought like, I'm going to be the next Drew Struzan and I'm going to just be sitting here getting paid a ton of money just to paint cool posters. Right. And it's like, oh, oh, there's a process and a team. And yeah. And now, but now it like, it, it really, <laughs> like, I consider myself a, a cog in a really dope wheel. Like, right. you know, one of those spinning ones with all the like, like awesome, like brass. spinning rims and stuff. And yeah, it's <laughs> like, just great. Punky looking <laughs> cool wheel. Um, <laughs> you guys, I, we're, we're past, I'm going to have to figure out how to, get this uploaded because two hours is usually <laughs> our max when we have blown through that uh, again that's not a complaint you guys have been yeah. powerhouses of of information and conversational delectability uh, i would love to have both of you guys on again in the future um together or separately Absolutely. I, I i personal uh life things are going to call me away soon so i need to wrap it up but before we do yeah. Let's have the final question. Autumn, you please start. What's one thing that's happening in the world now that you're excited about? There's things happening in the world. Daniel, what's something that's... Uh... <laughs> uh, something that's happening in the world that I am excited about? Um, just the, uh, the changing of the year. The, the, uh, as I said earlier, the, the flushing of 2020 and Fair moving enough. forward you know uh i think that's actually it's a very exciting time and um hopefully there's going to be for as many changes as 2020 brought on hopefully 2021 brings on many more changes but i feel like there is <laughs> hopefully we can we can look back and see the positives through all of the dumpster fire of 2020 and grab those things and bring them into 2021 and and use those to move forward those well that's I'm, I'm i'm excited about our potential right now yeah. how about um, you daniel on my end i think i'm excited to see what the lasting changes because i think they will be good the lasting changes in the work landscape because one of the things that 2020 did was completely shift that to this remote working work from home whatever has allowed people to a lot of people to move to places that maybe they would rather live in whether it's because they're more affordable or simply because they don't like how dirty hollywood is um <laughs> you know whatever whatever the reason um and it and it forced companies big and small to realize that oh hey this is possible we don't have to force everybody to commute into the office every day you know and like in my case it was because of all the construction in hollywood it was taking me almost an hour to get to and from work uh to work and another hour to get home from work right so that's two, almost two hours out of my day every day just sitting in the car and i i think i'm i'm really excited to see 
I'm really hoping there are some lasting changes uh, after all of this, you know, once we are able to get back to going to restaurants and getting some cocktails here and there out and about. Um, but, but hopefully being able to uh, still do a bit of work from home, I think it, it's better for just like mentality and, and just that, that balance, that work-life balance. So. Fuck, man. Thank you guys so much. This has been, Fingers crossed. this has been such a blast. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's definitely. Uh, is more fun even than I thought it was going to be. And I, thought it was gonna be pretty <laughs> I know fun. I was looking forward to it and, and I had even a better time than, than I was. Yeah. Thinking. You guys, you guys are great. And I'm so sorry that I've sort of had to artificially end it. I would have loved to come to no, a more I mean, natural. We got to end it at some point. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's like a drawing. You got to pull the plug eventually. <laughs> right. This is conversational economy. Here we go. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. yeah, but seriously, thank you guys again. Um, we're going to talk to you again in the future, I'm sure. I'm going to hit the...